good people of Los Angeles. We are so, so deep in the backyard right now. We are so, so deep bottle-wise in the amount of tequila we've consumed. We've got Jonathan Reimer of Shoulder to Shoulder Pod, of Boozology fame, coming back in person this time for a follow-up episode to our very famous episode of Whiskey. This time we're drinking tequila. This time we've got people coming over to the backyard to start the famous FCFC annual barbecue. And we are... Really, really, really excited because holy shit, the shield just came into the backyard. This is coming. This is coming. <laughs> this is coming live. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm looking at the shield. The shield. The supporter shield is here. Yeah, we're fucking celebrating this shit. Sue's out of her mind. We've got the. We've got it in the backyard. I can't even believe it. Slim, you got to come over here and hit people with the warning because. Wait, wait, hold up. We got a madam vice president in the house here. Hold up. Royalty. Royalty. Ladies and gentlemen, the dogs are crazy. We're drunk. There's cussing. Um, if you're at work or shouldn't be listening to cussing and stuff, um, oh, fuck wrong with y'all. Yeah, it's, uh, the podcast is almost over. Fuck these warnings. Fuck y'all. FCFC. Welcome to the FCFC pod, where two scholars and a dickhead look at the world through a black and gold tinted lens. It's your favorite Korean, even though Spice is sitting right across from me. I'm still your favorite because I'm the best. Um, sitting one. next to Spice is the bearded one, the Dweez. This is our second midday recording in a row, Slim. I know. You know how I feel about daytime activities. Love them? Shut up. Sitting next to the Dweez is the sexy one, the taken one, the Spice. Spice! <laughs> Spice from Taken. Taken you. from Taken. And coming back on the pod, because we didn't have him in the backyard yet, and, you know, finally we are men of our word, and we finally had someone that we said we were going to have wow. back in the backyard. Accountability. Back into the backyard. Um, and everyone enjoyed the first one. We, we got a little crazy, did a little mm-hmm. tasting. Um, a man of... A well of wealth of knowledge, well of knowledge. What is I that? I think both work. Why not? A well, wells are deep. A wealthy well of knowledge. Oh, in the realm of literati, alcohol, spirits, and how to tastefully fuck yourself up. We have Jonathan Reimer in the backyard today. Uh, honor and a pleasure to finally be gracing the glorious backyard. It is, uh, it's quite a treat, I have to say. Glasses up, boys. Cheers. We're, start we're doing it. Yeah, we're doing it in reverse. We're starting, hey. we're starting with tea. It's like we said, it's, it's midday. We need a little caffeine, a little brightness in our lives. Have, have no li- fear, folks. Do not worry. We will consume some alcohol at some point Yay. in time in this episode. Yeah, I want to just say, like, off top. And I could, do, I could do it in the intro, too, but... Well, off top, you're going to freestyle. That, yeah. Hey. I mean, this whole thing's freestyle. Mash unless, you, unless you want to put a script out. Uh, the whiskey episode that we did with Jonathan mm. 
happened like right in December, I want to say. It was like right around that holiday. It was mid-pandemic times. Times were tough. And that ended up being such a fun thing for all of us to do at home. And a lot of people told me afterwards they learned a lot about whiskey. And, you know, we had been talking about getting him back here. And we also have a sincere higher purpose for having him back here uh, with the tequila, which we'll get into. But please go back and read and listen to the whiskey episode if you enjoy whiskey. That one will whiskey. withstand the test of time and you'll learn a thing or two. That, that episode was a really a ton of fun to do on my part. I mean, preparing all the samples and mailing them out to you guys because it was COVID time and mm. we had to do everything kind of remotely. But, you know, like I, I, I've done a lot of podcasts, over 130 episodes of Shoulder to Shoulder. Bam, 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 bam. Shouts, shouts to the oh, homies to at, at, at LAFC S2S. Check us out, Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. A little, little different style show, a little more LAFC-centric style show. But shouts to Chris Christian and sound engineer Wilton. Love you, boys. Wilton. Oh, Wilton. Ooh, I like that. Like but, the street. I, I mean, so uh, like 130 episodes of Shoulder to Shoulder, a spattering of appearances on other podcasts around the LAFC community, my broadcast work out in the Inland Empire. And the one thing I had the most people hit me up about was the whiskey episode. On hey, the episode. We love alcohol. We love alcohol. That FCFC we love bump. learning. We, you know what people on FCFC love? They fucking love getting in their bag on something. Yeah, you know, yeah, getting yeah. Deep a bunch down of scholars, you. Yeah, just. Hey, hey, what does your, your cup say, Spice? Uh, mine says uh, Spice. Other side. <laughs> it says Scholar. Well, it might have said Dickhead. With that kind of response, you're trying to play me for the fool over here. <laughs> We're out here in the backyard, guys. It's FCFC Barbecue. They, they literally have custom glasses with their names on it, the FCFC logo, and there are two glasses that say Scholar and one glass that says Dickhead. I will let you guess whose glass is in front of whom. It's me. You know what we should have done? Wadio. We should have got, got bowls for Hoji and... and uh, the scholar Kobe, and the kid yeah. for the two of <laughs> for them. The Fuck them kids. <laughs> Guys, we were really on a sick one. I mean, Dewey's got these made special special order made for us, and I, I love these to death. But this is also like the 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 height of our optimism for FCFC because I remember making uh, trying to make this Goyard print that has our FCFC logo made of FCFC logos here in like the interlocking pyramid and um, designers told me it's impossible and then Dewey's just put it on the glass so it's like you can't put this on a shirt why don't we just put it on a glass yeah I was like yeah let's etch it into the fucking glass but we'll talk about etching into glass a little later oh I suppose speaking of glassware y'all y'all gentlemen are going to need an appropriate glass in which to taste with today so buried in my little bag of tricks here, I brought some glasses for you guys to use. And to keep them safe, I decided to go ahead and wrap them up in a little something-something. Jonathan just pulled out a glass dildo from his bag. I don't know how we're going to drink out of that, but I'm excited. <laughs> Jonathan, I mean, Jonathan. I'll it? let your imagination Ooh. fill in the Ooh, a little taster. Thank you. Okay. For all you Lord of the Rings fans, he just pulled out um, the one ring, a, <laughs> a, a Hobbit mug. So for all of you fans who just uh, aren't in the backyard at the moment observing this, Jonathan whipped out three gold, black, shoulder... Sh I haven't even seen this. Uh, so this oh, is a collaboration we did with the Think Watts Foundation Beautiful. and Homie Watts Sticks. sticks. Friend of the pot. So the one side says shoulder to shoulder and the other side has a line from Think Watts's LAFC anthem, Together This Our Culture. Oof. So we were selling these scarves and a portion of the proceeds was going to the Think Watts Foundation. And we still have some for sale. Hit us up at LAFC S2S. But a little something, something for you guys. Thank you. Damn. He's got the little something. We got the lot of something. I'm looking at like nine te tequila bottles. So if you're interested in 
learning more, continue continue this adventure with us. I'm gonna put this uh, scarf down so we can absorb some of the uh, the glass and liquid. You know, that's table. what scarves are good for in the North End. You know, truth. soaking up them beer showers. Truth, truth, truth. <laughs> we got mushroom chocolates in the backyard today, guys. It's gonna be a long day, boys. We're, we're out here hanging. At a point. At a point. This is uh, not a visual medium. We're a part of Daniel. If you're listening to this, this is. Uh, We'll set this up well, for you a little better. I was trying to visualize it. Did I not do a good enough job? Um, no, you did. You're good. Okay. You're good. <laughs> I actually haven't been in the back in a, in a long time, so it's it's yeah, getting you, it's getting uh, you some taken used to. We do have a fifth guest, to. of course, with us on the pod today as well. Too, normally adorning the D9 U Capo stand in the north end, we have the Mofasio Trapo here hanging in the backyard today. Do, do, do. Which are and joke. boy, does it look beautiful. Which I felt was an appropriate thing to have Mo join us while we uh, taste some tequila that he was a part of the original inception of. And a portion of the proceeds go, of course, to the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. But we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that rabbit hole in well, a sec. I was going to say, I mean, you're, you did such a good job guiding us on the first round. Do you want to talk about Mo now? Do you want to talk about Mo in a moment? Do you want to start... Where are we starting? That's oh, a good question. Um, I think we could probably start with what we're doing here today, aside from okay. recording a podcast. Mm. So uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Jonathan Reimer at Boozology. I'm a member of the District 9 Ultras, and we have made, in collaboration with the folks at Tequila Huegos Mexicanos, our own tequila uh, that we are selling through Flask Fine Wines and Spirits located in Studio mm. City. And so a portion of the proceeds go to two charities down in Mexico and the remainder going to the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. So since we had so much fun doing the whiskey pod, albeit remotely, we thought we'd finally get together in the backyard, have some tea, which I've been, I've been dying to have some official Dweezus tea, and uh, also taste some tequila. And so I figured, well, if we're going to taste the tequilas that D9 you made, we might as well kind of frame it in the same way we framed the whiskey episode. Mm. And heck with it, we'll just do a whole episode focusing on the world of Mexican spirits, agave-based spirits, and primarily tequila. Although we will diverge a little bit down a couple other avenues today. Uh, as you guys know, I'm, I'm you know, not just going to show up with your run-of-the-mill club tequilas. There's no 1942 on the table today. Yeah, we're, mm. going, we're going deep. We're going deep into the real Ooh. stuff today we love that and i'm i'm seeing like a solid what we got jonathan is that about 10 12 bottles so uh what we have here are nine bottles on the table and then whatever i got in my bag here next to me that i haven't shown you yet but uh so um we have the three different expressions of District 9 Ultras tequila that we made which we'll talk about how those are different and how they were made and uh, then to prove to you that you know we're really proud of how well this tequila was made and how well it tastes, um, I decided to bring some classic examples to kind of show you each style as it would exist in the world as you know it. So I didn't want to just bring our tequila and say our tequila is fantastic. I didn't want to just bring a super cheap bottle of tequila and pour our tequila next to it to where it looks you know, fantastic by comparison to some rot gut trash bottle of tequila. We're not doing that to you boys. So I brought what are widely considered to be some of the absolute best tequilas in their style Oof. to compare what District 9 Ooh. Ultras has made against the best of the best that's out there. So, so before we do that, and I thought you framed it really beautifully, uh, Mexican spirits. When you think of Mexican spirits, you think of agave. Absolutely. And tell us a little bit about like, the agave plant and how this how the how spirit 
spiriting of that plant began. So the agave plant has grown in central Mexico for about 8,000 years. It has been cultivated by mankind. So that long, long predates its application as ever being used as an ingredient in alcohol. It was used as food by eating the heart of the root stem, what's called the pina, which means pineapple, because it kind of looks like a pineapple. But kind of think like a rose hip. It's the part that's just underneath the ground that all the roots kind of stem out from and where all the fronds of the agave stick out from. So you got this giant, like, kickball-sized ball of root that sits right underground. And that's been harvested, cooked, and eaten since about 6,000 years before the Common Era. So that's a really long time that agave has been a part of the human consumption. But its use as a fermented or then distilled beverage is actually kind of a sordid story as we dive into it here. So originally, tequila was not something that existed in what we now call Mexico up until actually quite recently as the product we know it. But prior to that, there was a different version of a fermented beverage that was commonly enjoyed. And that beverage is called pulque. And pulque is oftentimes confused with the origins of tequila But it's made from similar plants, but it's not actually made from the same plant as tequila. And its entire process of production is a little bit different. But if you're picturing all agave plants, of which there are many, many, many subspecies, and those subspecies, many of which can also be used to make alcohol. Sort of think like grapes, right? There's not just one kind of grape you can use to make wine. There's tens of thousands of different grapes out there in the world, some of which I'm sure you're familiar with, grapes like Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon. So they all sort of start as the same basic plant, but there are subtle variations between the subspecies. And agave, you have basically the same thing, although there are a few different genetic members of the family. But it all basically starts with a plant that kind of looks like a cactus and kind of looks like a flower. It's something sort of stuck in between. But it has large, spiky, waxy, liquid-filled fronds that stick out from the ground. And they take about 8 to 10 years to mature into their growth, which is a really long time when you think that grapes regrow every Mm. single year. So if you have a vineyard in Napa Valley, you harvest grapes in 2021, you're going to be harvesting grapes again in 2022. Mm. Well, the agave is different. It blooms once and dies. So it grows to 8 to 10 years old. It blooms its first flower, then the entire plant dies, and it pre-propagates and starts over again. So it's a single-use plant in that regard. So the farm of it is something we have to be very careful about or we could farm agave off the face of the earth if we're not careful but long ago some you know few thousand years ago someone figured out is after eight to ten years when that plant is finally ready to give off its first flower if you go in and chop that flower off right as it starts to grow the plant really doesn't know what to do. It's spent 10 years, an entire decade, getting ready for this point. It's been storing all of this energy and all of these sugars in order to grow this flower. It's one chance at propagating itself, and you've now cut that off. And so the plant really just starts to ooze all of its sweet liquid material, which in Mexican Spanish they call aguamiel, which is uh, sort of like honey water. And so it starts to leak this really, really, really syrupy sweet sap. And if you cover that to protect it from bugs and keep agitating the plant by carving out a little more space and a little more space, eventually right there at the top of the plant, you'll form this little basin. And that basin will start to fill with this sweet sap. 
And through the course of its life cycle, you can actually harvest like 200 gallons of this liquid from one agave plant by going every day and constantly draining it. So that was the original form of fermented beverage native to North America. It is the first ever fermented and consumed beverage on the entire continent of North America. So long before your whiskeys, your rums, and any of those other things existed, beer, any of the crude rustic forms that originate primarily from the European and Asian continents, this is the first ever fermented beverage that a human being ever consumed here. And that dates back about 8,000 years ago. It's really hard uh, oftentimes to do accurate historical data of Mexico because so much of that information was destroyed by the Spaniards during their conquest. So it's hard to really sort of connect a lot of the dots. But the oldest recorded piece of information we have about pulque, this fermented beverage that came from the succulent that is the agave plant, uh, is about 200 years into the common era is when we find sort of the first written word about it. But there's so much written word that has been destroyed, you really then have to actually go to fossil record. And one of the weird sort of eccentric parts about tequila is that the fossil record that is currently what we use to date the origins of tequila is actually ancient fecal samples that have been analyzed by people who deal with paleofeces samples. Mm, and that's, they, that's old shit for all the people who are out there who don't know about paleofeces. So shit. they literally find fossilized turds, yeah. rehydrate them and put them through phenolic analysis uh, to try and determine what's inside. And that's how we figured out that not only was agave present, but forms of fermented agave were present in the feces of these ancient cultures. So uh, you never know the story your shit leaves behind. I love that line. And I just want to let it sink in a little bit. You never know the story your paleo feces leaves behind. So we're going to actually start today with some pulque. Ooh, yeah. very interesting. So while, we're, while you're whipping out the pulque, Jonathan, I think this would be helpful to get in off top because I know mezcal is getting bigger and bigger and people are interested in mezcal. I'm just going to ask the question for everyone in the room. What's the main, the main distinction between tequila and mezcal again? Tequila is a type of mezcal, but not all mezcals are tequila. Is that right? You nailed it. Okay. So mezcal is a term that was used broadly for many years to describe any distilled version of agave. It's now a protected term that has some origin to it. So it's not exactly true that all things are mezcal now because we've changed the definition of that word recently. Mm -hmm. And so the product that come out of Chihuahua and some certain designated regions are what we call mezcal. And there's actually different words for the other spirits that are produced in other parts of Mexico. But historically, we recalled anything mezcal that was simply distilled agave. Now, there are some very, very specific rules for how tequila is made that differentiates it from the other agave-based spirits, whether it is the Chihuanense Sotol, whether it is Mezcal, whether it's Bacanora, you know, there are tons of different terms for the different spirits depending on which part of Mexico you're in, which subspecies of agave they're using. So we've kind of made it a little more complicated in the modern sense, kind of following, you know, the French or the American method of giving things geographical indicators, a place, uh, you know, a sense of mm. this product comes from this soil and this climate and this place, and that differentiates it from other things grown other places. Mm -hmm. But essentially, 
all agave-based spirits are a form of mezcal, and the one that is made in tequila has some very, very specific rules and ingredients and processes that differentiate it from other spirits throughout Mexico. Excellent. So now you can impress your friends. So we have uh, three different pulque samples here in front of us. Um, I wish I could get us some fresh pulque, but uh, unfortunately not available this time of year to be able. So by all means, pass this around. So there's three different versions of it. There's the green can, uh, which is just your natural unflavored. Uh, It's a shake well on it. And then there's also uh, a pineapple, coconut, and a strawberry version as well, too. Just one of the fun things about pulque is that you can mix it with other different things to kind of use it as a cocktail base. Um, But they're fun stuff. So this is Hacienda Pulque, which is one of the few brands you can actually get here in California. I really wish I could get some fresh stuff for you. I tried to source some this morning, but uh, none of my hookups had any in stock. But I think it's only right on our... We're probably not going to cheers every single cup here, but let's, let's cheers the first one. Pulque, Ooh. pulque number one. Yeah, we got Koreans in the back. Drink oh, number we're one. every single one. Okay, there you go. So you can see when they say honey water how sweet and viscous it is and it has kind of like that wow. coconutty like pulpiness yes a little to it. milky almost yeah. milky vibes a little makgeolli vibes mm. so it's funny you should mention milk because that's kind of an important part of its history as well too and i never forget their names so i have it written down here but uh two of the ancient deities of the culture uh were a goddess known as mayahuel uh, and then she had a husband whose name was Patecatel, and I really hope I'm somewhat close to pronouncing those right. Um, but she was uh, the goddess of fermentation and of the agave plant, and he was the god of pulque. And so they had a number of children together, uh, uh, you know, according to lore, and those thousands of children were sort of like half rabbit, half people, and the rabbit children, uh, which were pulque known as... was putting in work. <laughs> damn. Uh, the children are Sentzon Totochin. Again, if I'm even close to pronouncing that right, but the legend goes that the milk of her breasts was the milk of pulque. And mm-hmm. so all of their rabbit children uh, were all fed on the breast milk of pulque. So this idea that this leche de madre is like another term that they often use to describe pulque, right? Mother's milk. Mother's milk. Because it has that creamy, viscous, plant-like pulpiness to it's it. kind of fire. Well, so, yeah, as as Jonathan was explaining that, he we tried the second of the three... Pulques, which is this, Do you like piña colada? Yeah, exactly, which is a pineapple-flavored one. It is nice. Coco piña. Yeah, so coconut, pineapple, and then there's a strawberry one as well, too. They're just fun, but this is sort of uh, obviously a very commercialized version of what was the original fermented beverage. But again, this is made by taking certain species of agave, different ones than we use to make distilled beverages, and harvesting that sap from within inside the plant and then allowing yeast to perform fermentation on it, mm. right? Which is where that microbe yeast gets inside. It eats the sugar, and it then farts out carbon dioxide and, you know, uh, defecates out alcohol. So, you know, always just a fun thing to remember that uh, whenever you're drinking alcohol, that beautiful effervescence of your champagne or yeast farts, and the alcohol that's intoxicating you is the excrement of this yeast molecule. Man, we've we've hit on words like excrement, feces, paleofeces, and we just started the pot. I hope you guys are all appetized and you got your tequila bottles and your pool case. Champagne bubbles are just farts in your mouth. (laughs) For all you guys. (laughs) So let's try the strawberry one. What do you think of this one, Slim? Milk is milk is. 
Surpri- I'm not a big pina colada guy, but surprisingly, the pina colada one's the best one. Agreed. What about you, Spice? Yeah, I agree with with that. Strawberry, I'm not sure, so sure about. Um, you know what I've noticed? Like straw, strawberry flavor is just hard when it's not like just natural strawberry. Yeah, if you ain't bringing the real shit. Yeah, even my like strawberry flavored vapes, I'm not feeling them things. Those strawberry Starbursts are fire though. Sorry. Yeah, Starburst got it right, but that's wait. Just what's your favorite all- Starburst flavor though? Mine's yellow. Yellow's oh, you're yellow. a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yellow's, yellow's my favorite. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah, you guys are both psychos. I don't know Respect. if I want to drink anymore. I don't trust you guys. <laughs> Welcome to the table. What's yours? I'm definitely going to keep drinking. Wait, what's your, what's your, what's your favorite one? I think the pink one. Uh, oh, pink is good. I, I think I pink is like kind of like inarguably. He said it very fine. obviously. The pink one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. It's just like the white gummy bear. I think orange is the worst. Orange is like my second favorite. I feel like yellow's the worst. I like thought we had I thought we had a bond. But like you're the, the real serial ones. Like I like the ones that are more sour. Uh, I like, do the pink and the red one are like a little too sweet. Like it's just like a little too like not I mean, enough. The red one the with the cough syrup, it maybe cough syrup. Yeah, the red taste cherry flavor always just yeah. tastes like cough tussin. syrup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, the old school tussin. Yeah, I remember <laughs> like when you when we're doing the whiskey, um the whiskey kind of origin of it, like we're talking about kind of some of the spiritual history or like the happy accidents that happen along the way. Are there anything you've uh, found on your tequila explorations about um, why the fermentation process started or like who started it? What was the, the purpose behind, you know, letting the yeast kind of take effect? Um, was there was there a legend behind some, anything like this? So we didn't really understand what yeast and fermentation was until like 100 years ago, Louis Pasteur, right? I mean, prior to that, microbiology, microsciences did not really exist. So we had no idea what fermentation really was. Mm. We just knew that if you left the liquid outside and exposed it to the elements, it would start bubbling, it would heat up, and this radical conversion of flavor and style would, would happen. And it's no surprise that, you know, look, we have two deities here in the ancient culture that worshipped this art of fermentation and the product in which we were fermenting. Mm. Because people didn't understand what yeast was doing. They didn't understand the science of fermentation. They just thought it was a magical, spiritual thing, right? Even the word spirits comes from that word, espiritus, the heart within, right? So, I mean, and you look at so many of these cultures, and, and certainly, you know, Central American cultures are certainly not the first to have deities associated with alcohol and fermentation. Whether we go back to Bach and Dionysus in our Greek and Roman history. You can even go all the way back to Ninkazi and all kinds of other stuff going on in Sumerian culture and other parts of the world. Fermentation was just one of those things that we did not understand, so it had to be something otherworldly. And so it's no surprise that in Mexico, you're obviously harvesting gallon after gallon of this liquid. You're going to be storing it in some kind of vessel. And occasionally those vessels are going to be open top. And the common form of fermentation uh, that's still used in many parts of Mexico today is they sew animal hides together and create basically a giant tarp with a basin that kind of sits above ground. It kind of looks like a suspended pool. And it's just this giant bag made out of animal skin that they store all the liquid inside. And obviously there's going to be microbes on that skin. There's going to be microbes in the air that get in there. And that's how your fermentation is happening. Just the wild yeast that exists in the air all around us gets in there. And all of a sudden this vat of your, you know, honey water that you have chill in there ready for you starts bubbling. It gets hot and then it tastes and feels completely different. It has alcohol inside it, which is not only the intoxicant, but also acts as a preservative as well too. So if you weren't 
want to allow it to go through fermentation, it would spoil much quicker. So it's no surprise that people felt like the gods have blessed this. I drink it and it makes me happy. It stays much longer as a potable good. This has to be proof that some higher power loves us and wants and to enjoy And it's smiling this. upon us tonight. Okay. Hallelujah. You know, it's no surprise it's still a part of virtually every celebration in every culture, Correct. right? Still involves alcohol to a certain extent. I was getting my hair cut the other day and the lady was talking about how she had to have Martel Cordon Bleu for her birthday party and she was so frustrated because she couldn't find and it was like essential to her and she's like I don't even really drink except on my birthday and I have to have Martel Cordon Bleu mm. like it, it just it's ingrained in us this process of ceremony and the interconnectedness of adult beverages in that world it's always kind of fascinating it's proof that someone above us really cares as, as, as shot is shining upon us the fact that we can get buzz off of beautiful natural things. Your God says all oh, this is a sin, bro. Nah, bro. <laughs> not, not what I'm reading. Prophecy, prophecy. You prophecy, say your prophecy. God, you fucker. <laughs> what a fucking gaslighting piece of shit. I mean, last Back. I checked, Jesus turned the water into wine, not the other way it around. Was his, it was his first miracle. I know. Well, from, shall we, from shall from we advance the conversation on? So, pulque is what existed prior to colonization. I'm fucking with this pulque. Um, I'm, next time we go to a Korean restaurant, we're going to have to have you try bakoli, which is probably the closest thing that Koreans have to something like this. Is bakoli like, uh, it's, it's like, about the same percentage as shochu, like a higher percent? About the same. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It's like 18, 20%. It's like a rice, rice wine, mm -hmm. um, but like it's the, it has that same sediment at the bottom. You gotta shake it up, and pretty much, I feel like it's like the same, same similar color, similar, yeah, similar uh, flavor. But one thing profile. we didn't, one thing we didn't say about the pool case, this is only like a five percenter. It's like an easy, it's an easy drink. Yeah. It's not, it's not gonna knock you out. Right. This is a fermented beverage, not a distilled beverage. And for mm. those of you who don't understand the difference between that, break it down. Break all it down. Break alcohol it down. starts with fermentation, right? So you have sugar that exists naturally in some liquid somewhere. Yeast eat that sugar, convert it into carbon dioxide and alcohol. And those are only ever going to be less than 20%. Because even like the gnarliest yeast strand on the planet that can go crazy high in alcohol is only going to get you to like 20%. And that's incredibly rare. And that's basically through years of genetically modifying and harvesting certain samples and, you know, sort of selective breeding of <laughs> yeast strands in order to get these super yeast strands that'll do that nowadays. So historically, a yeast strand could only ever get to five, maybe 7% alcohol. And that was the max. So the way that we make hard alcohol or, or hard liquors is we take these fermented beverages and you put them inside a closed vessel that looks like a giant copper pot. And then you put a lid on that pot that's got a hose attached to the top of the lid. And that hose forms a bunch of loops that cool it down so that you can condense the vapor that comes off of that pot. And we take our fermented beverage and we put it inside this device we call a still. And the still heats it up to somewhere between like 195 and 205 degrees. And at that point in time, the water does not evaporate, but the alcohol does. So the alcohol will come off as steam because you've got a hood over the top of that kettle and you've got a coil coming out of it that cools it off. We collect that steam and then condense it back down into liquid. And that liquid is essentially removing the alcohol and a few different flavor compounds from your original fermented liquid. So what we think of today as whiskey started out as beer. It's fermented grains, and we then take the alcohol from that beer, separate it from all the plant and water material that's left behind, and you have whiskey. 
brandy like the martel cognac we were just talking about or anyone out there drinking hennessy that's that's grapes so that's wine so they take the uni blanc grape in the case of cognac france they ferment it into a wine they take that wine put it inside the still and collect the hard alcohol from it and that's the brandy that ends up becoming your cognac right mm. so any alcohol anywhere in the world starts with fermentation and then you have a fermented beverage like the pulque in front of us here which is like beer which is like wine which is just the work of yeast and then we take those beverages and we remove the alcohol and some of the flavors from it to create that that heart within, that spirit, right? Taking the essential alcohol out of your fermented beverage and concentrating it into a liquid form. And so that's essentially where we arrive from polke to tequila. So a lot of people thought like, oh, well, the Spaniards just showed up with some stills that they had brought with them. They stuck this polke inside the still and boom, they made tequila. No. That's not how it works, although you will still find a lot of people who propagate that idea. But pulque, because it's so thick and so viscous, like you guys just tried now. Kind of jizzy. It is, it is. It's, it's a little cummy. <laughs> it, it doesn't really work all that well in a traditional Spanish style of still, which is this what they call an alambic pot still, which basically looks like a big copper genie's vase with, you know, some some coils coming out of it when you put the pulque inside it it just burned and it formed this like super burnt rubbery plasticky tasting liquid that came out the other side and it was pretty nasty so the spaniards essentially gave up on attempting to distill pulque into a hard alcohol and they switched to planting the sugar cane they brought with them and the grapes they brought with them and they were making rums and brandies so that kind of advances us from the moment of Spanish colonization until the early 1500s. So you still did not have distilled spirit being created in Mexico unless it was sugar cane that was brought with the Spaniards, right? So at this point in time, they open up the trade with the Far East, and you have the trade wind routes that run between the Philippines and Mexico. And so obviously, as they're bringing product back and forth, there's also a cross-migration of cultures as well, too. So you have a large contingency of Filipinos that then arrive in Mexico. Correct. And the Filipinos uh, brought with them their own type of still, which was much more rustic in style. It did not have all these crazy copper pots and pipes and all these tubes coming off it. It was basically just a big stone cook pot. And then they would use a hollowed out tree trunk to catch the vapors. And somewhere along the way, someone realized like, okay, so this pulque thing doesn't really heat up and distill. We can't do that. But they noticed that when they would harvest these agave plants, they would dig this giant root base out of the ground. And they would get this massive, you know, giant red rubber ball sized root out of it. And they would cook this piña, this pineapple up, and they would eat it because it had this very sweet characteristic to it. And you speak to people who grew up in Mexico, they remember, you know, as a kid being served fresh cut and roasted agave and how sweet it was. Mm. So someone finally figured out like, well, hey, if there's sugar in this thing, what if we just squish that, get the juice from it, and try and do something with that. So they took these agave piñas that come out of the ground, they roasted them, they squished them, and they formed a liquid that came from that. And the confusing part is they also called this liquid aguamiel as well, too. Mm. So that's where the confusion happens, because the stuff you're harvesting from a certain species of agave to make pulque was using the same word as the squished 
cooked root stem juice of a different species of agave. So we still have this aguamiel. And in this case, that can be fermented and can be distilled because you're not using the sap that comes out at the top of the plant. You're using just the water at the base of the plant before it's had all of that starch material and all those polyphenolic materials added to it. So in this case, it's much thinner and it can actually go through the process of a fermentation and a distillation. That would be the pre-cum. That would be the. <laughs> Those are the polyphenolic materials that we're talking about. And on that note, no, no, yeah, yeah, no. I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, maybe, yeah. That's Poly- maybe. polyphenolic materials um, are like the the bits of the plant that are not liquid, right? So it's all the little bits of stick and stem and connective tissue and fibrous materials and all that. That's all the polyphenolic parts of the plant, which get mixed into the sap as the plant grows. But if you catch the water right at the base of the root stem, all that plant material hasn't been infused into the liquid yet. Mm. So, so does it? Makes sense that the first, the first one that they ever make from this, the first result was it already was it the first name was it tequila was it called tequila was it what was like the so tequila is the name of a place, so oh. that's a town inside of Jalisco, the region of Mexico, and, and that's where the first distillery, the first commercial distillery, was founded. And since so many things in the world of alcohol take the name of their place, right? We were just talking about cognac, which is not a thing; it's right. a place. Mm. Cognac is brandy that comes from cognac. Bordeaux is a wine that comes from Bordeaux. Bordeaux. So this is a very, very common. Yeah, exactly. Champagne, everybody knows, right? Otherwise, it's just you know sparkling angst yeah. anywhere else, right? So exactly. It's just Stella Artois. <laughs> So uh, the the word tequila comes from that village where one of the first commercial distilleries was was produced. But they did find through doing some research around the world uh, of, of Mexico that the best agave kind of came from this region of Jalisco around the town of tequila. And that particular subspecies of agave, as it turned out, kind of was the easiest one to work with in order to make what they felt was like the finest, purest, most elegant expression of distillate brought from any of these different agaves all throughout Mexico. And so it was uh, actually a combination of a French and a German botanist that were traveling around throughout Mexico trying to catalog the names for all these things. And they both had the last name of Weber. So you have Franz Weber, who comes from Germany, and you have Friedrich Weber, who comes from Alsace, um, kind of on the French-German border. And so they both kind of go down to Mexico, discover this one species around the town of Tequila, and they both tried to fight for the name of it. And then they realized they had the same name, and they were both fighting to name it Weber Tequila. And, and yet their both last names were Weber. So one registered the name in Germany, one registered the name in France by trying to get their own first initial put in front of it. And now the first initials have been cut off, and we just call it Blue Weber uh, because the plant has a bluish color to it that makes it a little different from other agaves. So whether you believe it was you know Franz Weber from Germany or Friedrich Weber from France, they're the ones who put the name on this particular subspecies of agave. So it's uh, Agua Vera Tequilarum, for those of you who are into the whole genus species thing, but otherwise we would just call it Blue Weber Agave. So that one species grows really, really well in these volcanic soils around the province of Jalisco and the town of Tequila. So that's where they sort of figured out the most premium spirit was coming out of. Not to stop people mm. from all over Mexico have been making spirits just as long as the people in Tequila, but that one became popularized because the first commercial distillery, what we now know as Jose Cuervo, uh, was 
was founded um, in the mid to early 1700s, right there in the town of Tequila. And so they named their product after the town they came from because they believed that the agave grew differently there. So you can thank the folks at Jose Cuervo for n bringing the word tequila to the product. Uh, lots of bad memories with Jose Cuervo. Never <laughs> you can think, thank, never you can thank or guy. curse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, the, Jose, the, you're kind of a dick. <laughs> Well, and, uh, your sentiment is, is one that many, many, many people share, right? And that sort of brings us into the, the sense of modern tequila, right? Mm. So there are a lot of different kinds of tequila, and not many people understand the differences between the $10 bottle of Jose Cuervo that has absolute murder on your system and, like, a really premium expression of tequila like the ones that we're going to try today. So first things first, we should kind of talk about like what are the different tequilas that are out there. So the first dividing line between the two different schools of tequila is what is 100% tequila and what is only 51% tequila Ooh. and then 49% filler. So when you're buying a bottle of tequila, <laughs> you could be buying what is called a, a mixto style mm. of tequila, M-I-X-T-O. And that's actually only 51% tequila and 49% stuff you don't want to be drinking. Okay, so basically, you only get mixtos when you're getting ceviche. Guys. That's it. That's all. <laughs> I like your style. So mixtos will just say made with agave on the label, mm. but it will not say 100% agave. Mm. So if it says 100% agave, then what you're dealing with has to be at least 99% tequila, and the other 1%, there are a few things they can add to sort of color or stabilize and do that kind of stuff in some brands, but it could also be like natural honey made from the tequila plant to sweeten it. It could be some influence of a barrel that it was aged in, but it's going to be mostly pure tequila. But if it just says, and, and sometimes it'll say gold or oro or silver, and, and, and it'll just say made with agave, that's only half tequila, and then half like basically what wasn't good enough to make it into a rum bottle, which is why those things, I mean, are filled with tons of caramel coloring and additives and sweeteners and stabilizers and texturizers, and, and that stuff is really, really rough on your body. And if you have some common offenders, John, that you that you see like of, of these uh, caramel colorings, this is every, is this every tequila in the industry has a, a version of this kind of mixed uh, mixed tequila that's only 51% or are there are there brands that our our great listeners uh, should be avoiding I would say almost every single brand that makes mixto tequila also makes premium tequila gotcha, as well, gotcha. too, right? It's so just we, kind of a lower-end lower version. Right, so we talked about Jose Cuervo, right? And and obviously, if you're buying Jose Cuervo Gold or Jose Cuervo Silver, like it says right there on the bottle, made with, that's only 51%, and it's not very good. Mm. And I would say that the folks at Jose Cuervo are probably going to tell you the same thing. Like, look, this is our mixto. It's meant for mixing. It's meant for people who want value-conscious, budget-conscious product, right? So, so you know, we... These, we are, these are the, this is the tea bag to the loose leaf crowd right it's, it's that stuff that's swept up it's, look you can put put some bags. put some sugar put some milk in there you know what i mean yeah. you mix it up right right i mean so like there's nothing wrong with it, it it's just not a pure expression it's for margaritas. of margaritas and it's it's made for more casual drinking mm. right but even jose cuervo has their tradicional line which is their 100 percent puro de agaves they have their the dogs the dogs aren't 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 happy with the jose cuervo oh, no somebody, the dogs somebody's are... strolling by and the dogs are letting us know that we've got uh, <laughs> We got somebody that rolling through here. But uh, such is the backyard, right? This is such the joy is the of the backyard. Right? I'm, I'm really hoping we get a Pandulce visit at some point. The Pandulce guy is usually around 5 or 6 p.m. So you maybe feel it in the air. It's coming yeah. when it comes. <laughs> when it comes, it comes. Hey, guys, why don't we take our first break? Because I have a feeling we're about to start sampling the tequilas, and I think this is a good a good yeah. moment. We've brought us right up to the history, and we'll, we'll be taking our first tequila sample shortly. Let's take our first break. We'll be right back. More FCFC pod. Boozology Part 2. 
Back here in the back, FCFC pod here with our good friend, Boozology John Reimer for part two of uh, Boozology Talks, where we talk about... Boozology Talks, Boozology Talks. Where we're talking about the incredible, the enlightening, the illuminating, and the fun spirit of tequila. And um, we're hyped to actually get this thing started as I start having a musical backing from uh, from uh, the people of Exposition Park. But um, La raza, mi gente. <laughs> let's, Come go. On, let's go. Let's oh. go. Take take us through. I see. I see the at least in in the look of the liquid alone, something closer to what I'm used to of uh, of tequila. I've never had the pleasure of pulque before, as Sam called it, some viscous nastiness before. But Jisms. yep, um, it was it was awesome, and it's we're we're ready for to see where uh, it evolved into, man. So for uh, the good people of Los Angeles, where we left off, uh, and, and you know anywhere in the world. Where we left off was describing the styles of tequila. So we kind of dove into what is the difference between mixto and then 100% pure agaves, right? So your mixtos, like the name implies, they're mixed tequilas, and they're kind of designed for mixed drinks and, and, you know, more casual settings. And then you get these 100% pure tequilas, 100% agave tequilas. And there are a variety of different age statements that those kinds of tequilas can have on the bottle telling you how long the tequila was aged before it was bottled. So it starts, of course, with unaged tequila. Mm. So that is what we would call blanco, plata, silver, white. There's a ton of different words for it, but it all means a tequila that has either not been aged, so it came straight out of distillation and was bottled, or sometimes they'll give it, you know, a few weeks to a month just to kind of rest and settle and oxidize before they go ahead and put it in bottle. And that actually could happen in a barrel. So you can actually have a white tequila that's been in barrel for like 20, 30 days, but it really doesn't get a lot of flavor from the barrel. It's just sort of a neutral vessel where oxidization can kind of mellow out some of the flavors that are in it. But uh, what we're starting with today, um, so this is oh, sort of a classic example of white tequila. So this is from the Sousa family. Uh, it's made by Yermo Sousa. If you've ever had the Sousa tequila, Tres Generaciones, Three Generations, there's three pictures of, of different dudes on the front of that bottle, the three generations of Sousa. Well, this is made by Yermo. He's technically the fourth generation of the Sousa family. Ooh. So Sousa was, you know, like the second distillery to be a major big commercial distillery in tequila. Uh, they're about 75 to 100 years after Jose Cuervo. So now we're in the mid-1800s. So Sousa sets up another commercial distillery using the name tequila from the town of tequila and they've been making a variety of different levels of quality of tequila ever since so still to this day Sousa makes mixto style tequilas and they make 100% puro de agave style tequilas but they do it in like a really big industrial sense so Guillermo was like you know this is great like people love this tequila and it's fun but I would really like to get back to the very traditional roots of how tequila was made historically and try and do a bottling of that so he launched um, about 10 years ago this brand Fortaleza and so this is doing all of the authentic original process that was used in tequila historically going back to the early 1500s but with some modernization to it so all of the agave piñas again that's that heart of the root stem that big giant kickball sized root stem they harvest those 
using sharpened spoons, they're giant spoons that kind of look like a big flat shovel on a stick. And they're these gentlemen called himadors that go out there and carve all the fronds off these agaves, which have super long spikes on them that are, mm. can like pierce right through your skin. They're massive. I mean, it's, it's kind of a dangerous job. There's a bunch of crazy snakes and other different like animals that live inside agave that can attack you. So I mean, it's not like an easy job to do. But these guys go out there with their big sharpened shovels and they carve up these piñas. And then they're hand roasted in a clay oven. And then they use a giant stone that's drug around a pit called a toma stone. And the stone is drug around by burros that sort of squishes the agave that way. So this is a very rustic take on the original process for tequila. Uh, And this is their still strength Blanco. So this is the tequila as it was originally made, right as it comes out of the still, it's served at cask strength or raw strength, so it hasn't been watered back. So this is really the first of your Blue Weber traditional tequilas made as it was originally made 500 years ago. Shout out to Weber's. Yeah, I can't believe I know what a blue, why it's called Blue, blue Weber. Weber Agave. Did you know that before? No, I, I knew I knew the name Blue Weber. Though. I've never I've heard, heard of that. Yeah. Did you, have you heard of Blue Weber before I've heard this? of Blue Agave, so I mean, fuck both those guys. They take the old Reddit. Weber out of the thing. Blue. Blue, 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 blue. Yeah, you could just, you could just uh, agave tequilarum if, if you want to just, just go that route. But I think if, if you smell this tequila and you taste this tequila, Right, like to me, like there's a very strong floral note to it. There's like a pink peppercorn note to it. Wow. You get a lot of that like clay, volcanic soil, sort of spicy cinnamon stick. Like peppercorn is well right. Too. Oh my god, that's that's pretty wild. And there's a lot of that like fresh cut grass. You know, the green part of a jalapeno, like that capsicumy, like very vegetative characteristic to it. Right. Yeah. But this is like raw, pure, natural tequila. It's as authentically made as one could possibly make it. And Fortaleza is one of the most highly regarded and most critically acclaimed white tequilas on the market which which bottle is it oh it's what this guy here in the left. corner yeah i think we're going left to right, right so it's I got mean, a beautiful it's got a beautiful agave pina top for all those who are curious and a couple dogs on it that are looking at us still in their the names are illustration uh, sandy and choco are you really serious yeah. okay. sandy and choco. i thought you just named them <laughs> um i will say oh, i will say uh i can already feel it in my spine yeah, I don't know if anyone ever else, for some reason, tequila Good spine and my work. spine, it, it tingles my spine. I used to say it makes my gleekers gleek, which also kind of happens. What, what's a gleeker? I have no idea. Oh. But I just be like, I don't know, it kind of makes my gleekers gleek, which are like down here, or uh, what I assume. Like is the jowls, here. the jowls. Yeah, like like uh, below, below at the edge of your jaw. That but it's salivatory also, response as well, too, like the saliva it creates, mm. right? Like when you drink some, that's like the body's response to acid and alcohol being in the system is it instantly wants to start breaking that down. So there's like enzymes that come shooting out of your mouth as well, too, uh-huh. which is why it's perfect to talk while drinking as well, too, right? Because your body is instantly creating all this saliva and you're trying to like chew your way through your words yeah what is that so the body is is the body is that the body's way of actively rejecting alcohol as something possibly negative to its health healthy state or yeah what do you think that is no actually this is a byproduct of the fact that alcohol has been a part of the human diet for so many thousands of years Uh right i mean we talked about this briefly on the whiskey pod but the process of making alcohol is older than civilization right before mankind ever stopped being a nomadic hunter-gatherer you know species Mm. and, and started being sedentary and staying in one place and establishing civilization as a whole and and gaming 
culture. Of course, of course. Al- alcohol already existed prior to that as part of our diet. So we've been so accustomed to consuming alcohol that our bodies have adapted to it. And so when you start that saliva response, mm. that's actually your body's trying to break this down immediately. So it says, oh, look, like here comes alcohol. Here's something we're used to. Let's we're start ready. processing. Yeah. Break it down. Bring, bring, bring. Wait, tell me more about your <laughs> tell me more about your your spine's relationship to tequila, Dweez. What the physical? Sensation? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, what explain describe the sensation of what's that what happens. Well let after. me take a sip and I'll describe Let's it. Let's go. Okay, I'm I, I Live, live, live. All these guys hit their tequila in like one sip. I'm over here nursing mine. Uh which and shows you as this, you're right. just this my next tolerance. tequila that Jonathan's pouring us is coming out of a Popov bottle. <laughs> if you guys weren't trashy enough to be drinking Popov vodka when you were underage, good for you. So the beautiful bottles of tequila that we had made are really fun, large, one-liter ceramic bottles, but they're kind of a pain to pass around and pour. <laughs> uh, so I took all my samples and oh, okay. I moved them into this bottle. So what nice. you're drinking is actually what is the exact same liquid as is what's inside the black bottle. So this is our first so tasting is... of the District 9 Ultra's charity <laughs> bottlings. <laughs> so this is the Blanco tequila. Blanco. So you've tasted one of the most critically acclaimed and traditional styles of white tequila from Fortaleza. So now we're going to compare. I see that what you're doing here. I see what you're doing. I mean, you and told I us, like what you're doing. Yeah, you told us what you're going to do, but now I'm, I'm it seeing it. Yeah. Pour is a little heavier on this one too. So again, I mean, with all spirits, I always recommend you sniff it before you taste it, right? Whoa. Um, and when you're smelling hard alcohol, you want to open different. your mouth slightly when you smell it because you don't want to just stick your nose in there with your mouth closed. Otherwise, you'll just smell nothing but gasoline, right? It'll just be pure ethanol alcohol, and your nose will just light up, and you won't smell anything. But if you try it, if you take like, your mouth closed and take a little sniff and then try it with your mouth open and take a little sniff, and it'll completely change its entire bouquet and flavor. This is probably something you have to do with hot beverages like tea as well, too, Dweez, so I'm sure you're pretty familiar with this. But that'll really help open up some of the different flavors that we're experiencing here. So I just want to say off top, like to answer Spice's question about the spine thing, mm. like the tequila we just had, the Fortaleza one, it was sort of like, it's a rattling of the spine a little bit, like yeah. a little like, whoa, I'm on like a bumpy road with this guy. And I'm not just saying this shit because Jonathan's here or this is the tequila we're we're trying to introduce to our people, but like... This was just like a pleasant buzz of the spine, like a gentle, like it's still a sensation I feel in my spine, mm. but um, it's so much, it's less violent. So I like, and the gleekers didn't gleek into oblivion either. So this is like, a, this is way smoother. Mm-hmm. So, so what I did differently, um, so I, I actually worked with the distillery to make all these tequilas, right? So there were certain decisions along the way that I had them take in order to arrive at a tequila that tastes this way. So you'll notice when you taste this tequila that you still get a little bit of that sweet honey flavor that was reminiscent of the pulque, mm. that aguamiel. So I actually had them do the fermentation in a way where it didn't use all of the natural sugar that was there to begin with. So I had some of those natural sugars that existed in the original distillate. I had them arrest the fermentation or perform the fermentation in a way where it left some of that sweetness behind. So the first tequila you tried, you could see it was pretty much bone dry, right? Dry, the opposite of sweet, meaning there was no sweetness to it at all. It was just all tequila. So in this case, I had them just keep a little bit of that 
essential sweetness of the raw agave itself mm. to give it that olfactory memory for people who ever had cooked agave as a kid. Like to me, when people taste this white tequila and I pour it for people who are from Jalisco or from Mexico and grew up around agave, the first thing they always tell me is, oh, I can taste that cooked agave, which is something I was really looking for because I think it gives the tequila a little bit more body, gives it a little bit more weight and viscosity and density, which kind of makes it a little smoother, a little more velvety across the palate, right? Because the first sensation you get after smell is texture, right? Because it hits you before flavor. Mm. And so the first tequila, the very traditional one you tried, was very citrus and spice dominated like the second it hit your palate, right? You started salivating, you could taste those peppercorns, it was citrus and spice forward. With this tequila, I wanted it to have that agave velvety sweetness and be much more floral in style and those those particular flavor compounds that give you the floral smells that that i find in this tequila come from kind of keeping it a little on the sweeter side mm. and i kind of like tequilas to have just a touch of sweetness to it because i like to enjoy them on the rocks or neat i don't really like to mix them in cocktails where i'm adding a ton of sugar to it anyway mm. so i kind of like the flavor where it has just like a hint of sweetness mm. to it love it i thought it was, i, I like this so much better than even like Casadores, I, I used to drink a lot of Casadores Blanco and 1800 Blanco. And um, needless to say, I don't drink either much of those anymore, but this is like a lot easier. It's easier to drink straight up. And by all means, you guys do not have to finish all your samples if you want to just throw it to the plants and move on to the next one. Because um, we've got uh, our next age statement coming around here right now for you. So after Blanco tequilas, and, and this Blanco that I made actually does see about 30 days of time in neutral French oak before we bottled it. And I think you can also taste a little bit of that French oak spice to it as well, too. Uh, gives you just kind of a little bit of softening of the flavors, takes away some of that aggression of a raw, you know, unaged tequila, mm. which can be a very, very bold spirit for sure. Yeah, I went to, um, since, since our little, since our, our whiskey zoo, thing I was able to, to to take my parents to Napa and so I learned a little about the the different kind of wood uh, casts and uh, that it things are left wine is left in and distilled in what is there um is there a, a wood that's primarily used for uh the the kind of distillation of uh, tequila of or like just even like the fermenting of of, of agave that's uh, most popular I'm waiting for slam to chime in as the conversation shifts to wood but, wood wood um, wood 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 Venus yeah, I was late. Essentially, sorry. yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah. That, yeah. So there are a few different forests in the world that we harvest specifically white oak from in order to make barrels, right? And so this being the first barrel-aged one that where the barrel plays a dominant role in the tequila, it's probably a good idea to shift that conversation to that. So there is American white oak barrels, uh, which typically come from parts of uh, New England and eastern United States white oak forests, right? It's a lot of it in Kentucky, The Tennessee. white oak would come from New England, those fuckers. <laughs> 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 so uh, the American version of the oak tree grows in much warmer climates. So in a warm climate, the tree grows less dense. There's a little bit more space because there's a little bit more plant activity. So you chop a tree in half and you're looking at the rings, right? We were all taught when we were kids, you look at a stump, you count the rings, you can tell how, how old is, the yeah. tree is, right? The other thing they show you is that the gap between each ring can tell you a little bit about the climate of that season. So if the gaps are very wide between each ring, you likely had a very warm season Whoa. in which the plant was really able to grow. Mm. And if the rings are really, really close together, then it had a very cold year. And that's some of the days that we can help kind of actually use trees to determine what the temperature was like, you know, 100, 200, 300 years ago, right? So 
in the United Sight, States. Bitches. I like looking at trees more than the fecal matter one. I think that's that's a little more pleasant for, <laughs> for everybody. They're not looking at the feces again. They're rehydrating it and smelling it. So it's, it's, you know, it's even the better. Eyes are it's even better. <laughs> Spice is obviously not an ass eater. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really not surprised by that whatsoever. You got to open hey. your eyes and spice. All right. right. You know what? 2023 coming up. Big year for yeah. us. We call buttholes horizons out here. <laughs> Sometimes you got to go but- spelunking. The new horizon. <laughs> Uh, the tequila started heavy, obviously. <laughs> like you weren't talking like this before this. So in the United States, warmer season, the gaps between those rings are a little wider, so hence the wood is a little bit more porous and a little less dense. Mm. So when you age something in an American oak barrel, which is what most tequila is aged in, it gives you a very, very bold and pronounced spice to it because a lot of the interaction between the liquid and wood increases when the wood is more porous. There are some peculiar laws around the production of American whiskey that in order for it to be called bourbon whiskey, it must be aged in a brand new white oak barrel. So every time Jack Daniels and Jim Beam and all these other massive companies that are cranking out millions of bottles of bourbon go to age that product, they have to buy a new barrel every single batch. Wow. So there's all these leftover barrels that are still good, but they don't meet the laws of bourbon requirement. So most of those barrels end up getting sold off to other countries to reuse them. Scotland buys a ton for the production of Scotch whiskey, and virtually all of your Mexican tequilas are aged in used American whiskey barrel. And there again, those age statements, so Blanco is anything that's either unaged or less than a month in barrel. From one month in a barrel, to 364 days, a day short of a year. It is called Reposado, which people always want to add that That extra S S to. Resposado, but it is Reposado. What does Reposado mean? So it means rested. Ah, So it has spent a small but not a long amount of time in barrel. So just usually somewhere between six and eight months, just to kind of give it a little bit of spice from that barrel to sort of augment some of those natural green vegetative spice that you get in tequila. So this one um, is one of my favorite reposados on the planet. Uh, this is made by Tequila Ocho, which was originally founded by Lyons Brown, and it's called Ocho because he is the eighth generation grandson of Jack Daniels. And his job for the Jack Daniels company was to sell all their used barrels to the folks down in tequila. And so he fell in love with Mexico and the culture and the product that is tequila, and through a corporate oh, takeover, <laughs> he, he actually got kicked out of the Jack Daniels company. So he decided, well, to heck with it. I'm just going to move to Mexico and start making a tequila. So what he does with Tequila Ocho is really fun. Every single year, they harvest agave from one location, and they bottle it by itself. Sort of like the concept of a single vineyard in wine. Your trip to Napa, I'm sure Mm. you saw a few of those single vineyard sites that are super famous. So this is sort of the same concept with tequila, just harvesting agave that comes from one particular field. But Tequila Ocho makes one of the most critically acclaimed, highest recorded, highest rated reposados out there. I'm going to try a little bit now. It is also, I'll check in with Dweez's body functions. Um, also gets the spine going, but it, it feels a lot more like happening in my head than the spine and in, in a good way because there's a lot of nice smells none of it's overpowering bone connected to your head bone all right 
It's, it's not bad. <laughs> but you can start to taste the influence of barrel, right? The yeah. spice level here is totally different, right? It, it starts getting into the cooking cabinet. You start tasting things like cinnamon and nutmeg and allspice and cardamom. And all of those flavors come from the barrels themselves. Is the, is the color also from the barrel itself? I noticed it's like yellow, yellow tint, tint, twinge to this, right? So I have two things. One is it actually takes a little bit of the color of the wood itself. And then some of that is just oxidization, right? So, I mean, if you took lime juice and you squeeze fresh limes and you try and keep it in your fridge for two or three days, it turns brown, right? Because lime juice oxidizes really, really quickly. Mm. Alcohol oxidizes at a much, much, much slower rate. But you can see as spirits get darker, they get older. Now, you can't use that all the time because some tequilas or some alcohols are artificially colored. Uh, you know, some have other ingredients that can darken the color. But yes, the longer just a spirit, even if you aged it in a glass tank, eventually it would start to take on some color as well, too. But the majority of that color is coming from the actual burnt inside of the barrel itself. You, you got to cook the inside of the barrel because if you just put sticks together, the liquid would just leak right outside mm. the barrel. So you got to kind of char to seal the yeah, inside right. a little bit. So you do get a little bit of that smoking out to it as well too. What's up, Kobe? Kobe's loving the reposado. So this is, again, a very, very traditional, critically acclaimed version of reposado made by one of the most reputable producers out there because, again, I wanted to put my product up against the best of the best that's out there so I can show people that, you know, look, we didn't just do a gimmick. You know, mm. we didn't just make a tequila that had no authenticity to it, no style to it whatsoever. You know, that we're trying to make something that was I think can hold up against some of the best that are on the market out there. So if you guys are ready, you can go ahead and uh, we'll start pouring around our version. <coughs> Here comes the middle of the three bottles, the one with the orange band on top, a.k.a. the Heposado. Reposado. John, and, and where did the decision come for um, the, the D9 tequila bottles to be um, dark and translucent or not even like it's like you can't really see the liquid inside compared to the the more classic tequila bottles that i know which is the the clear glass so there was a lot of process that went into making these bottles right so i mean this wasn't just something that like we were like hey let's make a tequila let's go to a brand that already has bottles available like slap a d9u sticker on it and take some american-owned company and let's go ahead and just partner with them and, and get our tequila out on the market so it took like five years to do this um from start to finish i mean it was a really really Ooh, long process can i ask about just maybe the very first contact maybe with Juegos Mexicanos? Like, is that someone, how did you know them or how did who know them? So I've been working in the alcohol industry for a little over 20 years. So I've met somebody who works at pretty much every distillery in Mexico over the course of the last 20 years. Mm. So when originally Mo and I uh, brought this idea to District 9 Ultras, um, because Mo was one of the people who was really behind me using my experience in the world of alcohol in order to do something for the LAFC community uh, and, and to sort of work with some charities around raising some money. So, I mean, the idea for making a tequila and having it be a charitable way to raise money uh, was really a collaboration between Mo and I many, many years ago, right? Um, so a couple things we decided early on is that it had to be a Mexican-owned company. We were not going to work with a company that was owned outside of Mexico. We wanted to work with a traditional family that was doing this for the good of their community. 
like in all things in this world, commercialization can be very exploitative, right? And, and not to accuse other brands of doing this, but we wanted to make sure that we were partnering with a brand that was true to the region and that the money we were spending on these bottles was going to benefit a company that was deeply involved in the culture and the place of tequila. Mm. Tequila is a place, right? I mean, and so the people of that place deserve to be honored and respected in the process of this as much as any of the charity monies or, or the imbibing process and all that joy. If that joy was coming from a company that was based outside of Mexico, um, that would have made it a bit hollow for us. So there already we narrowed down the list pretty significantly <coughs> when we decided it had to be family owned and we wanted to work with a Mexican owned company. So, so that sort of narrowed down our list to, to just a few producers. And then it was really finding one that understood D9U and LAFC and wanted to be a part of this because not every big company wants to be a part of supporter culture in the world of football, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as you can imagine, and, and as we've seen in Mexico, it, supporter culture can be a fairly dark thing. It can also be a beautiful, wonderful, and positive thing. But we needed somebody who understood what LAFC was and what, you know, sort of the brand and community side of things was. So fortunately... Uh, in my many years of working in the alcohol industry, uh, I met a gentleman by the name of Ernesto Aguirre, who owns Aguirre Imports, which is the importer that works with this one particular brand. And, uh, you know, he's someone that I have a lot of trust in, I have a lot of history with. And so he was one of the people that I approached about this product originally. And we approached, I mean, a few different companies to sort of feel it out. But we finally arrived at Huegos Mexicanos because they were 100% behind what we wanted to do. Uh, the owner of the importation company had already been to LAFC games, knew about the 3252, knew about D9U, knew about all the stuff that was going on in the community, and was a really big fan of getting behind it. And so finding someone, again, that we were morally aligned with here in the Los Angeles side of things, and we were morally aligned with south of the border as well, too. So, so that really limited our option to, to just a handful of brands, really, that checked all those boxes mm. for us. And then, of course, um, they were perfectly willing to work with us on the charitable side of things as well, too, because we wanted the work that was done on these bottles to involve charities south of the border. So each one of these one-liter ceramic bottles are all handmade by a local bottling company that is based out of Mexico that is Mexican-owned. All the hand etching that is done in order to carve the design into each of these bottles is if you feel it, it's not just painted on the bottle. Every single thing that is painted is actually carved into the bottle first and then hand painted afterwards. And so we found, um, you know, through, through my work selling bottles, I knew that there was a youth gang task force that was based out of Jalisco that employed young men, paid them their study hours, and then also paid them a living wage once they're old enough to work in order to do the etching on these bottles. So we hired that particular charity in order mm. to do all the etching. So every single one of these bottles is hand etched by a member of that youth gang task force. Wow. And they're paid a wage not only for their study hour time, and then once they're done with their homework, they're still on the clock while they do the etching as well too. So obviously, you know, keeping youth off the streets, keeping them in school, keeping their education going, something that we're, we're really proud of is that particular portion of the partnership. And then all the painting, the hand painting that is done on every single bottle is done by a different charity. Um, and there are a number of other tequila brands that use these two entities in order to, to work. Certainly not the only ones doing this. I think Ava Longoria's tequila uses the same ladies to paint her bottle as paint our bottles as well, too. So, um, you know, these are accredited 
real institutions being used by other brands as well too. But all the hand painting that's done on this is by a different charitable group of single women who are out of work or grandmothers who still are in charge of childcare, but are still trying to bring in money for the household as well too. So we actually pay for the childcare and pay them a wage to do the hand painting as well too. So their children are taken care of. There's like a very progressive school oriented focus. It's not just like a bunch of kids running around a playground. Like they get instruction, they get education and all this. Cause there's not like a whole lot of, you know, pre-K, preschool, you know, available for the average person to be able to afford south of the border. So this really presents an opportunity for these people to get, you know, pre-K education and at the same time, they're getting paid to do it while they paint the bottles as well, too. So those are the two different charities that are involved south of the border on the production. And Huegos Mexicanos was one of the few brands that already had a relationship with those two entities. So mm -hmm. that was a big one for us. And they just checked all the boxes. And it became very easy once we started with a 1,000 tequila brands and started filtering it down by all the various different specificities that we needed. It was, it was very simple to arrive at Huegos Mexicanos because they checked every single box in authenticity and quality of product, um, you know, in, in the background of the people who owned it and made it and in their willingness and their partnerships to be involved in the community. And they were already aware of LAFC and the 3252. So it really became quite easy to make the selection at that point. I appreciate the condensed and beautiful detail of describing how these, these things came to life. But I also just want to intercede here and say, if your experience of tequila has been how quickly can I get through this and how little can I taste so that I can just get to the other side of this shot that my friends are roping me into? This experience of drinking this, this hepis, reposado, I keep wanting to not pronounce the arc like I'm speaking Portuguese, this reposado is um, the opposite. You don't mind it sitting in your mouth. You don't mind it like... <laughs> you nasty shut dog. Up. You don't mind it like you don't mind sitting sitting with it, giving it some time. Like a dead slug. Because so often tequila will have this like gnarly, you know, attacking mindset into your experience of drinking it that you're just like, get this thing fucking away from me. It's hurting me. It burns. It it's sour. It's gross. It like it's it's that nineties hitting... version of tequila that was yeah, on like But I can this one here, like you can like let it sit. You can actually like kind of slurp it, let it swish around, and it's not. Yeah, it's he's not. Just talking nasty, just bro. <laughs> hey, I'm doing nothing but describing. Yeah, you don't. You don't have to do this off a body shot to enjoy it. He's yeah. always much better. I'm long winded. He's short winded. That's why it works. Uh, no salt and lime needed. Yeah. Right? No salt. Yeah. It's really no. It's it's honestly. It never go. It never. It never turns on you. That's a way to think about it. Like sometimes even better tequilas that I've had. Like, as I've gotten older and you can afford a nicer shot, you'll be like, oh, that's okay. And like, like, at the end, you just sort of shudder. I don't find myself shuddering with this. So the way I had this particular Reposado made, so we start again with that same Blanco, right? So the mm. same juice that I had them create for the white tequila so that it's got that slightly sweeter Aguamiel honey water sort of vibe to it. Right. And then as opposed to just using the generic American bourbon barrel, um, I actually got a bourbon barrel from a very prestigious distillery that regrettably did not give us the rights to claim their name along with it. But I can tell you that as opposed to just using a $15 a bottle Jack Daniels or Jim Beam 
barrel. Uh, we got a barrel from arguably the most famous American bourbon whiskey uh, that may or may not have a connection with a grandfather uh, to it. Um, if we sell the Patreon, this is where John would give us all the details of the Patreon. Patreon, uh, Patreon if you really Patreon, want to Patreon. know, just DM us on FCFC Pod and, and we'll, we'll let you actually, know. Actually, let's take a moment and just say, remember Patreon? And thanks to all the people who fucked with us on the Patreon. Anyways. Hey. Um, Definitely. Continue, Jonathan. We interrupted you there. No, no. So, um, so I took uh, one of these super expensive bourbon barrels, one more modestly priced bourbon barrel, but came from a distillery I was a really big fan of. So we took two different bourbon barrels. Uh, and then in order to mix it up a little bit, I took one barrel that uh, originated in France, where the temperature is much colder. Mm. Um, and in this particular place in France, they make white oak that has very, very tight grain to it because of the cold temperature. So it's a much, much milder, more delicate spice that it brings in. And then those barrels originally went to the southern part of Spain and aged sherry in Spain. And then when they were done giving what they could to the sherry in Spain, we shipped that barrel down to Mexico, filled it with tequila. So this is actually three different tequilas blended mm. together, but all starting with the same base white tequila that we had made for the original batch one, as this is the second batch of the Blanco. And so we took those white tequilas, put one in a bourbon barrel from Super Snooty Company, one in a bourbon barrel from Less Snooty Company that I'm personally a huge fan of, uh, then this one different French oak barrel that held sherry wine. And we mixed those three barrels together to create this. Mad. And uh, the sherry barrel was 10 months old, and then the bourbons were eight and nine months old. So that's, that's on the higher end of a reposado, which you would normally pull at about three to six months, like this tequila ocho here, where it still has a lot of that very vegetative characteristic to it. But I wanted to make something that was creamier, that had a lot more dried fruits to it, you know, that had just a little bit more complexity. So this is two different bourbon casks and one sherry cask blended together in order to make this particular reposado this is the rarest of the three we made 200 of the blanco and 200 of the last tequila we'll get to in a sec we only made 100 of these reposados and frankly this was not the popular decision ahead of time to make a reposado everybody wanted a white tequila and a super aged yeah um, but i am militantly a fan of reposados and i was like screw it we're gonna make an extra 100 bottles of this reposado just because i'm gonna intervene with another tea reference if <laughs> If you're talking in the tea world, green tea is the least sort of the least turned up. Black tea is the most turned up. Oolong is in the middle, right? And oolong they call the connoisseurs because it's because it sits in that middle stage and there's all those different dimensions. As you're talking about it, it just reminds me so much. And even the color, the coloration, the mix between not quite a green, not quite a black. It's that it's that little bit of both. Um, I live for the in betweens, you know, gray. Gray areas the great areas where I thrive. So yeah, let's uh, keep it rocking. I think we're gonna take our second break before we jump into the the final the final bottle. And I and I'm looking over here and I see that one of them is called the bad stuff. So before we get to the bad stuff, we're gonna take our second break. We'll you be back. Boy, drunk. We'll be back with Jonathan and more tequila in just a moment. Not yet tea time. In fact, this is going to be one of those few episodes where we're going to take another break because we've got a lot to get through. Um, so it looks like we just got poured up one 
one level up in terms of coloration, a, a little bit darker now. Is that the bad aged. stuff that we just poured up, Spice? Indeed. So I'm looking at the bad stuff, Jonathan. Do you want to walk us through what this guy is and what does what does ane, anejo, añejo, extra añejo, give us some añejo, school, school us on the añejo-ness of the world. So we talked about Blanco, unaged or less than 30 days in barrel. We talked about Reposado or rested between 30 days and uh, 364 days in barrel. At one full year in barrel, it gets elevated from Reposado to Añejo. And Añejo means aged. And that is anything that has been in barrel between one and three years. After three years in barrel, you get into the ultra premium category of tequila. And those are extra Añejos, extra aged. So Mm. this is a tequila that has been aged beyond three years in barrel. Now, a lot of you might be thinking like, well, like three years, that doesn't seem very long. Like a scotch whiskey can't even be a scotch whiskey. Like, and I see like 18 and 21 and 30 and 40 year old statements. So aging has a lot to do with climate. So in Scotland, where it's very, very cold, things age very slowly. Mexico, where it is incredibly hot and humid, things age very quickly. So you can already see the difference between, you know, unaged in six months in barrel. There's Mm. a color, there's a texture, there's a flavor difference already. Whereas whiskey from Scotland, you really wouldn't see that yet because the heat and humidity hasn't caused the same extraction from the barrel. So after three years in barrel, you're getting a lot of barrel influence on your tequila. So this is one of the most critically acclaimed, hard to find, rarest, most ultra premium expressions of an extra añejo tequila. Uh, This was done by a bootlegger from Mexico who was illegally making tequila for many years but was considered to be as a master distiller one of the educators that helped teach many many other people how to make tequila but he himself ran an illegally ran still down in mexico so at some point in time an investor went down there met with him tasted this tequila and said well what if i just gave you the capital to legitimize your business and we don't change anything about your recipe we don't change anything about the product we just make it legal so U.S. investors came down to Mexico, brought a bunch of money, built this gentleman everything he could possibly want to make his tequila as he's been making it, and they launched this brand, The Bad Stuff. These bottles are ludicrously expensive. Uh, the cheapest you could probably find one is like 250 bucks a bottle. Um, this is a particularly old bottling of it, which sells for even more. So if you were to buy this exact bottle nowadays, you'd probably be in the six to $800 a bottle range. Jonathan isn't fucking around when he comes to the backyard y'all he comes through with that 700 a bottle shit i like i like the juice of this one i think it was it was delicious before you said that it's more delicious oh my after God. You said that. so My this is uh, the bad stuff tequila this is batch two uh so this is the second batch they ever brought f- across the border to the united states and this is considered by many tequila purists to be one of the most quintessential examples of extra añejo tequila um it's their reserva especial um so this is a little over four years and three months in barrel four years three months bad stuff for that ass so i mean you can see that after it's been in barrel so long like all of that vegetative spice gone, right? Mm. You don't get any of that capsicum, bell peppery, jalapeno-y, fresh cut grass. Like all that green herbaceous thing is totally gone. What you're getting is a ton of sweetness to it because alcohol and water evaporate 
sugar does not. So as something sits in barrel, a full barrel after about a year will lose about 10% of what's in the barrel. They call that the angel share, mm. the portion of that barrel in which you share with the gods. And you constantly have to keep refilling your barrels to keep them full. The you love that. I, I knew you would love that. Yeah, but I, I knew that you would notice that I loved it, which means you also love it to an extent. To an extent. <laughs> You're psychotic. <laughs> so what you get is reduction, right? I mean, like simmering a sauce on a stove, certain things will stay there. Sugar never goes away. Sugar can't evaporate, right? Acidity can't evaporate, right? It can only concentrate within the solution as it ages. So alcohol and water actually evaporate at fairly even rates. So if you put something into a barrel at 46% alcohol after three, four years, it's still going to be relatively close to 46% alcohol. Sometimes, depending on where you are and the location of your barrel within the house that it's aging, it might gain a little, it might lose a little bit of alcohol, but Ironically, the alcohol and water evaporate fairly evenly, but all of those sugars and all of those wood spices sort of <coughs> dense and concentrate. So the bitterness in this tequila is probably one of the most noticeable things when you first take a sip. Like for the first time, like textural bitterness is really a part of a tequila when you get to extra añejos that you don't really see in the Reposado or in the Blanco. Some añejos, but añejos because there's such a wide range from one year to three years, like some of them can still be very Reposado-esque and some can be very extra Añejo-esque because there's such a broad amount of time allowed to be in it. Which is one of the reasons why I didn't bring an Añejo today also because we couldn't really do like 15 bottles of tequila. I want to keep you guys like sane for the rest of the day. Yeah, we have like a barbecue. We have the, the annual FCFC barbecue going on after this, so... You know, we didn't want to be falling over as our guests arrive. Exactly, exactly. So, so we sort of accelerated to the ultra premium end of the spectrum here. So this is, and uh, you guys again. only did three bottles, correct? Correct. Yeah. So you didn't do the añejo bottle yourselves. Correct. Yeah. And so, um, what we're gonna get to is um, in just a second, while you guys get a chance to finish enjoying the extra añejo from the bad stuff, which is a phenomenal tequila and, and definitely worth the price it goes for. It's killer stuff. But what I wanted to do when I made the next expression of tequila was really push the boundaries of those label rules. And so I stumbled across a tequila a few years ago that was made in a style called Cristalino. And Cristalino is a relatively new category of tequila Cristalino. where they filter aged tequilas back clear by removing all of the bitterness that enters the tequila from the oak. So you still get all the flavors from the oak barrel, all of those baking spice notes. But I think about this last tequila, you can really, really taste the bitterness. It's fairly pronounced in it. So they started this new style of tequila where they removed the bitterness from it. And one tequila brand out there registered with the Mexican government using the word ultra to describe their Cristalino. But rather than branding the word Ultra as part of their brand name, they filed all the paperwork to try and create this category of Ultra as being a style of aged, extra aged Cristalinos. It failed, and, and that one company has abandoned the term, but they still used and registered that term one time. Now, obviously, because these bottles are made by the District 9 Ultras, I thought it would be really cool to try and see if we could use that word ultra on the bottle. And it turned out that was really, really difficult to do. And it required a ton of paperwork being filed with the Mexican government in order to do this. But we found a slight loophole in that the same way they were able to register ultra we were not able to call the tequila just 
Ultra as the age statement. However, if we called it Añejo Ultra Cristalino, then there was this little loophole in Mexican law that allowed us to register it as that particular name. You're so, so fucking American. <laughs> we, we, we lawyered up on them, you know, um, uh, although to be honest, um, you know, we basically just filed paperwork using things that already existed legally. So they didn't really have to make an exception for us. They just kind of realized that we had worked around the system. Um, and I think they were actually pretty tickled by the fact that we had figured this out. Um, so we labeled this tequila Añejo Ultra Cristalino. And the only way we were able to do that is if we used both Añejo and extra Añejo juice, mixed them together and filtered them back to Cristalino, then we were doing something that hadn't been done before. So we were able to then get the new classification. So this is actually the first and only bottle in the history of tequila of, to be called oh Añejo, Añejo Ultra I could, I could, I could see D9 leadership Añejo fucking creed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never done before. Aguante. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. So I, I was really happy. So what I ended up doing is I ended up blending two different extra Añejos and an Añejo together in order to create this bottle. And then it was mildly filtered um, using a very special process of filtration. So a lot of times when they make Cristalinos, they will use Micron filtration. A Micron is basically like a custom polymer sheet, like a custom piece of plastic that has microscopic holes punched in it that will only let molecules go through that are a certain size. So you remove all the long chain molecules, all the bitter molecules, and you keep all the small molecules behind. But I didn't want my tequila ran through sheet of plastic so we actually emulated that using agave fiber so we formed um, a woven mesh of pads that we poured the tequila through very slowly that's made out of agave fibers in order to filter out the bitterness of the barrel but still give it some color and to really not take away too much of the flavor so this again is kind of a unique process that we're using as well too and again, I also mixed a few different barrels together. So in this case, I took one bourbon barrel, which I thought was one of the better tasting of the bourbon barrels we had. And then I took two different sherry casks, one that was a little smaller oh, in size. Oh, fuck you. you Slim. Okay? <laughs> oh, no. we got a it's all right. Dune. Let's just make sure the dogs where the dogs at. We got it. We got ourselves a got continue one, talking because I think it's going to be best to just fill this as I help clean it. All right, well, well we're going to grab a, a, a broom and mop up a, a little bit of glassware spill here. It happens. It happens. It's all good. I'm drunk, guys. These things happen. Let's watch out for the pooches. Let's make sure they don't get no glass in their feet here. So we took a small sherry barrel um, that's sometimes called a port pipe, which is just a long, skinny barrel that kind of looks like a giant cigar. And then we took a big, fat French oak barrel that's a little bit more of what you would traditionally see wine aged in. And then we took a regular 55-gallon American bourbon barrel, and we mixed those three tequilas together and then put them through this filtration process to remove all the bitterness. So you get all the sweet, delicate fruits from those sherry barrels. You get all of the baking spice from that bourbon barrel. But then we strip all of the aggressive bitterness out of the tequila when we filter it um, very delicately through these agave fibers uh, in order to create the very, very first ever Añejo Ultra Cristalino, which is uh, the next sample that's going to be coming around for you guys right now. John, how um, did you know... Um did you have an idea of like the the three the the blend that makes sense or like how do you, how do you go about choosing what kind of um, 
what kind of barrels you want to mix? Is it just an idea, a thesis you have in your head about about what, what to mix? So again, this is 20 years worth of experience of working in this industry. Um, one of the things that I'm very privileged to be able to do is to taste single barrel samples from a number of distilleries, right? So over the course of the years, oftentimes, vendors will try and get your account to purchase an entire barrel of something from them. So in order to do that, they'll bring you a case filled with a bunch of mini bottles of all these various different barrels. And they tell you a little bit about what that particular barrel's composition is, what mm. forest it came from, how much it was charred, all these various different things. And then you taste that sample by itself. And over the years of tasting hundreds of these barrel samples, probably thousands of these barrel samples, yeah. I sort of had an idea already laid out in my mind of how I wanted to put the blend together. And then ultimately, it just came down to tasting the final components and deciding what percentage of what barrel to use in order to blend it out. So I've done a lot of blending in the past for wines and, you know, just home mixology and that sort of thing. Yeah, man. So working, you know, in, in the bar scene as I did early in my career, I got kind of a kickstart on the whole idea of mixology and how you balance things out. And so when I look at a cocktail blending a bottle of tequila, blending a bottle of bourbon. I always look to try and balance out a few different things. So when we're talking about alcohol, there's phenolics, which are like all of the smells that are contained inside of a bottle. And then you have structure, which are all of the more tangible things like sweetness, bitterness, acidity, alcohol, right? And so I, I wanted a particular combination of smells for the tequila to have. But I also sort of view the structural elements in alcohol, be it a mixed drink, a whiskey, or a tequila, kind of like an equalizer on a stereo. But instead of base, mid, and treb, I have sweet, salty, bitter, acidic alcohol. And my goal was to get all of those things to balance. So if I had one tequila that was too sweet, like the two sherry barrels tended to be a little sweeter in style. So I actually mixed two parts of the one bourbon barrel. And then like, so like 50% of this tequila is the bourbon barrel. Mm. And then 30% is like one sherry cask and 20% is the other sherry cask. So 20% was the smaller, the port pipe sherry cask, the small barrel, because that had a lot of tannin and bitterness to it which was great because it gave the tequila a backbone, mm. right? It gave it some structure to hold on to. But since we were going to be, you know, then filtering it, um, you know, I, I felt like I could use like a healthy percentage of that bittering agent, that 20%. And uh, then 30% from the other sherry barrel that was very mellow, but very sweet in style. But I didn't want the ultimate tequila to be too sweet in the end. So then when I mixed those two together, then it was 50% of the more aggressive, bold bourbon barrel, because I knew, again, I was going to be stripping a lot of that aggression away. So kind of lending on experience and lending on my tasting of the product, I, I sort of arrived at this 50-30-20 blend mm. uh, in order to make this final tequila come out with what I hoped was, you know, an elegance and a balance to it that I was really looking for. And so I wanted it to show each of those parts, but I didn't want any one part to stand out above anything else. Because to me, when you have a one-note product, like when just sugar or just spice stands out in something... That feels very pedestrian. It feels very bland. Like, that's not very sophisticated. That's not very exciting to me, right? And so, obviously, like, I'm not making these tequilas for me. Yeah. I'm not making them for booze connoisseurs. I was making these tequila 
for soccer fans, right? So I also had to weigh that imbalance as well too. In leveraging my experience and my knowledge, I could have created the tequila that I wanted to drink, which probably would have been a much more bitter and acidic style of tequila because that might be my personal preference. But I know that, look, at this point in the process, we had already sort of realized that these tequilas were gonna be part of Mo's memory. And so I really wanted to make sure that these tequilas appealed to the people of Los Angeles, right? So in looking at what tequilas were the best-selling tequilas around Los Angeles, a lot of these club brands that are a little lighter, a little sweeter, a little smoother, a little milder in style. And I think you can see across the board that this tequila gravitates more towards a, a mellower style of tequila, right? I didn't want tequila people sip on. And, and like Dewey was saying earlier, you get that like rot gut repulsive response to something your body feels like it's rejecting. I wanted people to take a sip of these bottles and have it feel welcoming and inviting and warm, right? Because because that's Mo, right? Yeah. That was who he was as a person. And those are the types of tequilas I wanted to make. Something that I felt really had his personality in it. So yes, it still has a little bit of playfulness to it, right? It still has a little quirky side to it. It still has a little bit of that raw, austere strength to it, right? But it was also very welcoming and very warm and very comforting, right? And so I wanted like all of the personality boxes for Mo to be checked in the personality of the tequila as well too. So by all means, enjoy the uh, the Anejo Ultra Cristalino. That just Yeho jacked me up, man. Ultra that just jacked me up. I, I I knew we were talking about Mo's memory. I knew Mo was at 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 the origin point for a lot of this stuff, but <laughs> for for a flavor profile of uh, to, to encapsulate the great man. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the welcoming nature of of, of him and and the Los Angeles nature of that dude. Um, yeah, it speaks to. I think we all we we all miss Mo a lot and. The Supporters Shield celebration and the memory of that, which we, you know, just all experienced here at the beginning of October, kind of brought up a lot of those feelings again. Um, but yeah, being here with you, Jonathan, and enjoying these and talking through them and kind of off pod joking in the ways that he might joke. And we've got when he came, he brought a Jenna Jameson bobblehead. And of course, <laughs> during the memorial that you organized, which was very, I think, well done. Um, and so cathartic and meaningful for a lot of us. Spice, Josh, and I, or Spice, Slim, and I sat um, right here. And of course, as we're talking, I broke the, <laughs> I broke the bobblehead. I also broke Josh's, the one he brought from uh, from Rome. Um, but yeah, I mean, what can I say? When Mo was in the hospital towards the end, there, I I, sh- I sent him a photo of the Jenna bobblehead with my dog hoji on the lawn and i use that as the flyer for this just to try to cheer him up and um i don't know i think that he would be very in the times he was always in the backyard he was always very cheery and very friendly and very upbeat and very positive and thinking forward and i don't know I just wanted to share that, and I wanted to share that I think it's beautiful that you found a way through the thing you love to celebrate a person you love. Amen. You know, and uh, you know, Mo was someone I was very close with. He's, frankly, the reason I ever entered into D9U's leadership. Uh, Mo was the one who sponsored me after there had been a rift in D9U, and the Los de Confianza folks had split off and separated from the group. 
um, you know, they needed to bring in some new leadership. And everyone who was involved in the current leadership had their own folks that they got to recommend. And I was Mo's recommendation. Um, and so Mo was the one who put me in a leadership role in the 3252 in the first place. You know, he's the one who asked me to take a seat in the council um, and, and represent District 9 Ultras at a 3252 level. And before Mo passed, he gave me a lot of very specific directions and instructions on how he wanted me to go about my leadership tenure with the 3252. And I still hold a lot of those things true to this day. He gave me a list of three things to accomplish during my time. And uh, I'm happy to say that I've, I've accomplished one third of those things already so far. Um, but, uh, you know, those those were kind of kind of private things between him and I. But, you know, he was really big on on bringing someone in that he felt would represent D9U, but also challenge the folks that were in the 3252. Because he felt like the culture of the 3252 was becoming very stagnant. He felt that the ideas were becoming an echo chamber and that the 3252 desperately needed some people who were willing to be a contrarian, who were willing to present new ideas, who were willing to challenge other people's ideas. Uh, and those are things that he charged me with doing when I took that position. And so, um, well, you've you've seriously like distilled that in your process of making the tequila, right? Like you've challenged some of the ideas. I loved walking through the naming, the naming adventure you guys had with this one. But just to sort of like touch on how it how it feels, how it tastes, Slim Spice. How are you guys feeling about how the the añejo the añejo tastes for you guys? You feeling that those those different different vibes? I'm drunk. It's delicious. It's delicious. Yeah. Less words. Less words, more what? drunk. Oh, okay. There you go. How are you feeling, Spice? How did you feel about the, the añejo? No, the I thought the, the añejo was. I mean, like, like it was from the from the jump. I thought it was um, something easier easier to drink. And drinkability. I think drinkability. Yeah, drinkability is high on, on on this list. I think the sweetness of it. Um, reminds me of our sweet guy Mo. Now that we talk Aww. about it, but no, it's uh. Man, it's just it's it's fun to to be able to to sit across some loved ones and to talk to talk about this and to uh, to sip on it and um, to have a conversation around it, man. And I'm enjoying it thoroughly. One of the things Mo was known for saying within our leadership meetings was, "Okay, so what's next? Like, what what other box are we forgetting to check? Like, what are we leaving out?" Right. Like if we're thinking about this from our particular perspective, what other perspective are we not including when we think about this? Right. And so I, I really sort of took that message to heart when I was preparing the samples that I brought for you guys today. And obviously, we're very happy with the way our tequila came out. Again, folks, if you want to check out these bottles, you can head to District 9 Ultra's social media. You can head to my social media at Boozology and you can see pictures. And if you want to purchase these, you can go to flaskfinewines.com. We can ship anywhere in the world that legally accepts alcohol. We can local courier deliveries anywhere here in Los Angeles. You can come pick it up at the shop in Studio City, or you can hit me up and I will happily bring your bottles to in a game or an LAFC event and try and coordinate with you there. Uh, we are still actively trying to sell. We have a little bit left of all three. So if anyone's looking to, to hook up on some of this before it's gone. I mean, but yeah, while you're on that topic, like you've got three different styles, obviously the Blanco, <coughs> Reposado, Añejo, Ultra, Cristalina. And 
what are how, how much are we talking here? How much is each bottle? So they are one liter bottles, right? So okay. that's something to keep in mind. So right, your average bottle of tequila is 750 milliliters. So one liter is 1,000 milliliters. So they're an extra third bigger than a normal bottle, right? Mm -hmm. So like, before I give you pricing, I should always qualify that yeah, these bottles you get are more. bigger, yeah. right? Um, but again, we paid two charities to do the work in the production of this bottle. We went to an ultra premium and authentic brand. We cut no corners in this process. They're also delicious. And we're still trying to raise money for the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. Um, so the price does does reflect that. So it's 125 for the Blanco, 160 for the Reposado, and 185 for the Añejo Ultra Cristalino. And I can tell you that the difference between cost and what we're selling it at is is very small. Uh, normally, you would charge a much larger markup on a bottle like this. And comparing this to the bad stuff tequila that we just mm. tried, that's well over two fifty a bottle. I feel like we've put that attention and care to quality in all these products, but but they're not cheap, right? And and that has been one of the biggest obstacles in attempting to sell this product is. This is not the price of your club brand Patron Don Julio tequilas, right? So, I want to buy one of the bottles right now. What do I do? Flaskfinewines.com. Why don't I just vent? Can I just Venmo you? <laughs> well, legally, no. Okay. So one thing when we did. So I'm going to flask. I want to walk people. He's going to do this. it live yeah, right so now, flask, folks. Flask Fine Wines. I'm looking it up on my phone. So one thing, I just to, to clarify why that's necessary, mm -hmm. right? Um, the first 100 bottles that we did, um, you know, I purchased south of the border and brought them across myself and hand sold them, which is completely illegal. Um, so in order to do it this time, I wanted to make sure everything was legal and above board. So in order to, to buy and sell alcohol, you need a distributor and an importer, right? In order to do make that happen. So I'm just f filling you guys in on the process so far. I just Googled flask, fine wines, click the first link. I've only typed in district into the search box and already all three bottles came up, but continue. Oh, that makes me so happy. That um, CO is killer on these bottles. So um, the, 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 I'm, I'm going to go for the Reposado because I like the, I like kind of the middle ground with this one. That is the rarest. So I'm looking at 139.97. I'm adding it to my cart. Continue. Oh, yes. I forgot. Yeah, I lowered the price. Um, so, yes, it's down to 140 a bottle um, for the Reposado. For the holiday gifts. And again, and again, you can order for delivery, and there's a bunch of different delivery options, whether it's same-day courier, next-day air, two-day air, three-day air, basic ground shipping. And uh, we'll happily ship these out to you. Or you can select local pickup. Come say what up to me at the shop. I'll uh, be happy to talk booze with you. Maybe, uh, you know, sip on a little bit of this tequila if you come by the shop. Or, um, you know, you can hit me up and I can bring the bottle to you. But, again, in order to make it legal, we needed a liquor license. And that's where the folks at Flask Fine Wines and their owner, Peter, really stepped up. Shout out to Peter. And he's the one who really made this happen legally by letting us use his establishment and his liquor license in order to sell this product legally anywhere in the world. So, 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 so you know how when you go to some of these websites nowadays, they've got that like shop pay system and you probably already have all your info in there because you bought other shit on there. I do at least. I'm, I'm already clicking uh, free local pickup and I'm just going to press pay now right here comes down to the the reposado comes down to with my taxes 153.27 and so in however many minutes that just took i've almost officially purchased a bottle continue jonathan i'll tell them when the confirmation has come through so a huge shout out to confirmations come through Bingo. <laughs> so I, that's all it takes that's all it takes you can buy a bottle that quickly um and look i just want to say half of the motherfuckers listening live in LA and half of those motherfuckers 
always have tequila on deck. So instead of going to buy 1800, instead of going to buy the fucking Casadores or the other shit, you could buy this very beautiful, like, ceramic bottle with hand painted, hand etched designs that benefit shit that you care about, that shit that we fuck with in our community really hard. And in the process, you get like an absolutely delicious, super drinkable, super crushable tequila. So that's my that's my that's my hard pitch, and I just bought a bottle. So there you go. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And I will say, as as a to compare uh, drinkability uh, versus versus uh, not, what John just poured to us after the the wonderfully drinkable District Nine Ultras, um, Anejo Ultra was um, well, yeah, what is something this? that I do not appreciate. But what is tell this? me more about yeah. this, this bottle. Uh, try a little bit because it was I'm it's it's. it's it's fucking me up right now in a way that I don't know if I love right now. But oh, I'm, I'm oh my god! Oh shit! So we wanted to make sure that we completed the educational portion of this oh, experience. What the fuck is this? No, seriously, so, this is like, did you like? Oh what we god. have moved on to oh, from tequila you. is the world of mezcal. Uh, so now we are in the world of mezcal. So now we're taking different species of agave plants from different parts of Mexico. And before you hate on this too much, let me give you the story behind this particular bottle. And, and maybe it will me. change your mind slightly. I might appreciate this story, but Jesus, this taste. So there are hundreds of different distilleries all throughout Mexico. And there are dozens of different kinds of this agave plant that you can use to make distillate beverages, right? So we talked about the particular agave, the Blue Weber agave that they use in tequila. Mm. But there are a number of other different species that can be used to make various different kinds of mezcal. Mezcal can be really fun. It can offer a lot of really fun flavors. But there's a process difference between mezcal and tequila. So in tequila, and we talked about it, those agave piñas are steamed in a clay oven. Some of the cheaper producers might use a giant microwave called an autoclave to cook the fruit very rapidly. That might be one of the differentiating factors between a cheap mixto tequila and a more premium expression of tequila is whether the fruit is hand steamed or microwaved. But uh, either way, that creates a very light and delicate flavor. In the case of mezcal, the agave piñas are often roasted using a wood fire pit. Mm. So that brings the on fire for sure. a whole different level of smokiness and campfire in order to, to, to bring you this particular flavor profile. Now, if you guys remember, when we first started talking about the process of making old pulque and old mezcal, mm. we talked about how prior to using you know these big stones or a machine mill to ground it, they would literally attack it with a wooden mallet. So these agave piñas are hand harvested. They are broken down using wooden mallets. This is a very rustic, very traditional family operation in the heart of Mexico that is making this particular bottle of Pechuga de Mole Poblano from the Luneta brand. So they break the agave down by hand with wood mallets, squeeze out the juice, they put it in a cowhide pit in order to do the fermentation. So the fermentation for this particular mezcal is done in cowhide. And then the distillation again concentrating out the alcohol from the liquid itself is done in the old school brick oven coral mm. tree trunk so the mechanism for the distillation of this particular mezcal is as authentic and rustic to the old school filipino still as it could possibly be so this is fermented in cowhide distilled in a coral tree trunk and this takes it a little <laughs> bit further 
This is one of 27 bottles in the world oh my God. of 2012 Pechuga de Mole Poblano, which is made by a master distiller who is sadly no longer with us. This was glass Happy. tank aged for eight years prior to bottling. And what makes it a Pechuga de Mole Poblano is that the Mole distillate Poblano. vapors are actually passed through all the ingredients for making a mole dinner. Mm. So as the vapors go through that coral tree trunk still, they pass through the seasoned chicken breast. They pass through all the various fruits and herbs and nuts and spices that are used to make chicken mole. So when you taste this and it has a chocolatey, it has a savory chicken vibe to it, all of the ingredients for mole poblano are in the still itself and the alcohol vapors actually pass through all of those ingredients before they are collected on the other side. So if you take a step back from this and you give it a smell. So I was just about to say the smell, the journey of the smell is, is a lot. Okay. First of all, it's let me lot. back everything up. It's fascinating. Everything you just said is fascinating. Everything you said, said is interesting. And for all the fucking heads out there who are ready to just dive this bottle down here, is sick. this is the one for yeah, you, yeah. right? But compared if comparatively, and this again, I'm not trying to fucking pedal too hard. These D9, you fucking you pedal it, pedal. The drinkability is quite low. Like you, this is not a a, a crushable, drinkable, chillable drink. This is a go in your room and have an experience. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like an ayahuasca type. Like you, you know what I mean. You're you're not gonna hurl, but you are going to have. Some feelings. You're going to touch some edges of experience, and if that's what you're into when you're drinking, um, this please, is you're, you're you're a writer, man, who describes things for a living. Explain this bottle, because in my head, the only way you can describe it is that this is a potion bottle from Final Fantasy that you choose for Honestly, replenish the your first, HP. The first thing I thought about... It's incredible looking. The first thing I thought it's about... It's a maester. Maester and, jug. And I am no expert in any of this, so don't quote me, but if you've listened to the Guanajuato episode, you'll know that I went and experienced a traditional temescal a sweat lodge down in mexico the shape of the bottle reminds me of the sweat lodge really? and the experience of drinking it reminds me of what i had to endure in order to get to the other side and again all due respect i, I highly recommend going to temescal if you're ready for it if that's the experience you want it is We're not ready. it is not an ice cream sundae on the beach on a weekend where you're just you know but you know what now and again in life we all need something a little intense a little difficult so Fucking amazing. And the story, of course, Jonathan's coming equipped with some real shit. But I think when once you learn what it is and you go back and smell it and taste it, you can smell the wood of the campfire. Oh, you yeah. You can smell the chicken the smell, breast. It the almost smell tastes is like crazy. a burnt chicken taco. The smell is crazy. But the taste is, is it's a tough sell. The taste is a tough sell to someone who doesn't want to have and who's not a, a this Jonathan. Is the compared to other mezcals, though, it is more drinkable than a lot of mezcals. So here's the question I want to ask you guys. You're looking at what is a half bottle, 375 ml. How much do you think this costs? Oh. Well, because you're posing that that way, I bet it's really expensive. I bet it's like, I bet it's like close to $1,000. I love you guys. I don't love you guys that much. <laughs> Uh, so that's that's that half bottle is at cost three hundred dollars. Okay, uh, if you were to buy it from a store, it would be four hundred dollars a bottle. Again, there is only twenty seven <coughs> of these bottles in the world. Beautiful. That's the cooler part, and the cooler part is like everything you just described. I mean, it's like it's like a painting, right? When you go look at a painting, maybe it makes you feel something, maybe it doesn't. But then when you hear the story behind the painting, the inspiration behind the painting, all that stuff, it you know, things get value because of the stories involved and the details involved and so 
I'm, I'm with it. This is a painting. It might not be your painting, but it's a painting nonetheless. I love this. I think it's a fantastic bottle. I'm a huge fan of chicken tacos and a mezcal that tastes like chicken tacos to me <laughs> is like, I, you're like, what, what is not to love about that? I hear you, but not near the microphone. I hear you for sure, but I, I tried to take one more bottle. This was the first one I had to pour out a little of. Like, no, it's it's okay. It's yeah. okay. It's only oh, the most expensive one you found. <laughs> I'm not sober. Yeah. It's all good. Slim has actually refused to pour out anything. He's just hitting them all. So if you remember back to our whiskey episode, do you remember the first sample of whiskey that I poured for you guys in that sample? <sighs> It's okay. It was. It was okay. no. I think it was like an almost like borderline like Everclear, like an Everclear no, that version was, uh, of whiskey. Yeah, that wasn't even whiskey. It yeah, was it was like some in, boot, um, some fucking hoot shit, right? Yeah. So the first bottle. Oh of whiskey god! Why I do you, hey, for can you. you start with this stuff next time? Why do you? Oh end shit! It? Are we going? Are we ending with this, bro? Whoa. So the first bottle of whiskey I poured for you on the whiskey episode was a one hundred percent illegal bottle of Tennessee moonshine uh, that yeah, that's a former right, LAPD officer smuggled across the United States and sold to me. The biggest illicitly. gang in the world. Shouts to the homie. However, I felt it was only necessary to bring a completely illegal product <laughs> once again. Here to we you guys. go. Here we go. So we go. I want you guys to go ahead and taste this first. Oh, it is geez. from Mexico. It is a mezcal. It is illegal. But it is 100% completely illegal in the So, United Jonathan, States. this is how much we trust Jonathan. He's handing me a bottle with no label no and label. very little coloration. It could be it could be like the dem the demise of all of us. So, I'm only going to drink it at the same time. So, if we go down, we go down together. I am so drunk right now. Fuck. How are you going to have a So, I, I do want to <laughs> harken back to the very first thing when we talked about when we talked about the spiritual connection between agave and the deities of mexico and if you remember back we talked about maya huel who was the goddess of the agave plant we talked about her husband patecatal who was the god of pulque and how they had hundreds and hundreds of these half rabbit half human children into it that they called the senson totochin so what you have here uh, in the last glass we just had was a pechuga de mole poblano. What we have here is a pechuga de conejo. So go ahead, give it a taste. Oh, I give it a smell. I'm not sure if I'm ready for the taste. Okay, you guys are drinking. We're all drinking at once. Oh, We're going down together. Uh. Oh boy! When they say fire water, right? That tasted like. So I would like to introduce electric. you guys to a little friend of mine. I'm going to show you a little picture of our friend. So here's a picture of our friend. Oh, no. I don't even want to. Oh, so our friend is a wild hare uh, uh -huh. that was harvested in the Durango High Mountain Deserts. So this rabbit, this wild hare, yeah. was caught and harvested in the mountains of Durango. And then this is the coral tree trunk still with which this particular <laughs> pechuga de conejo was for, distilled in. And as you can see by the video that I have shown the boys here. Uh, we have the skinned carcass of that rabbit being cooked <laughs> slowly in the vapors of the still the as they pass sure. through it. So what you are drinking is a wild Durango rabbit that has been suspended over the still as the vapors of the distillate pass through it and cook the rabbit. Oh, so you're getting the taste of cooked rabbit inside your mezcal. And you know what's funny? 
it tastes like a cooked, a distantly cooked rabbit carcass. You're that a is exactly psychopath, and that is why we, <laughs> why we like you. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> as long as you drink it with us, I think we're gonna be all right, boys. Um, we are perfectly right. safe to drink. However, rabbits are not so. The the, the bottle we just had, perfectly legal, mm. was passed through seasoned chicken breast. This bottle, completely illegal, passed through seasoned rabbit. Right. So why is one illegal and one legal? That's uh-huh. because rabbits are plagued with disease right <laughs> so what the united states government does it didn't work uh, <laughs> which is spice just had a moment where he tried to hit the sound pad but i don't know how to work it these days i'm, I'm um, losing my mind actually you know what i do that's a lot of nuts <laughs> so um you have to inspect the liver of the rabbit when you skin it mm. in order to make sure it's free of disease. Of course. So I think this is the one Spice is going for. I'm sorry. Was it not? I, I couldn't even have headphones. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're doing. Air horn. It was an air horn. Uh, <laughs> so they don't let this be a commercially viable product because sure. they don't trust a commercial entity to be able to determine the ones that have parasites and right. the ones that don't. But <laughs> if you skin the rabbit and you look at its liver, you can tell if it has parasites or not because the liver will be discolored. I have to give the listeners something real quick. Both <laughs> both Josh and Sam just put on sweatshirts and they both put both of their sweatshirts up to their, like, past their ears as if they just want to, like, curl. They don't want to know. They, they just want to curl know. in to the, to uh, the safe space. Yeah, we're so drunk we don't care, but this is fucking crazy. <laughs> So, Parasites are upon us. So obviously the people in Durango eat these wild rabbits. They do this as part of their sustenance, as part of their normal life. So they know how to determine which rabbits are diseased and which rabbits aren't. Right. Now, fortunately, diseased rabbits have never been present in this particular part of Mexico. Mm. So again, there is no history of disease in this region. <laughs> this is a wild rabbit that was caught. It was inspected and it was deemed to be okay. And so they made an incredibly limited supply. We talked about that last bottle having 27 bottles of it ever made. There are four of these bottles that have ever come north of the border. <laughs> came from wow. One rabbit. And that's three too many. Because <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Okay, wait, do we have any more tequila, or is that it? This is the last Okay, of, that's it. Well, we do have one more thing, just as kind of like a little a little nightcap. Just okay, let's do the nightcap, because then I'm going to move to tea with Dweez, yeah, because holy with shit, we're let's two hours in. And can I just say, can I say who's ever listening right now? Who, we're who, Whoever came with us on this whole journey, I hope that you too once invite your friend over to drink some tequila, and you go through the range of emotions we just went through, and then you get... Chicken mole and you fucking get, wabbit. You get punched. <laughs> is that, is that <laughs> the rabbit's blood? Are you pouring this fucking balsamic vinegar? Yeah, this now? time, What's going this on? time oh, we're... Let's go with wabbits. Okay, wabbit. so... Yo, I don't even... This so I'm going like to hand sauce, it off to Jonathan right? because it looks like rabbit, uh, oh. rabbit blood as we're about to just pour the rest of this out. Okay, so the last thing uh, we have for you guys today <laughs> is a liqueur. <laughs> ah. So one thing people often forget is that alcohol becomes the base of all of your liqueurs, uh, right? So when you're drinking a bottle of Grand Marnier, 
that has cognac at the base to it. When you're drinking a bottle of Fireball, that has whiskey at the base to it. And typically, when you're drinking a bottle of Kahlua or coffee liqueurs, it has rum as the base to it. Right. However, the folks in tequila also make coffee liqueur that uses tequila as a base to it as well, too. So as an uplifting moment at the end of this, I thought we could enjoy, which is one of my favorite liqueurs. So lower alcohol, higher sugar. This is essentially a coffee liqueur. So if you've ever had Kahlua, Kahlua is a Mexican coffee liqueur, but it uses rum as the base. So this is a Mexican coffee liqueur that uses uses tequila as the base. Also, setting a pod, making some pod history, we've never, ever had coffee on the pod. So this is the closest thing we've ever had. Shout out to coffee. It's not It's not bean versus the leaf that can exist together, guys. We're going to have some that tea after this. That sounded mad racial for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I figured it was appropriate to let the coffee bean have some some representation on the FSA, FSA pod. Oh, that shit's sweet as hell. Uh, that is so not rabbit blood. <laughs> Thank God. It, it tastes hanyak, like... Hanyak, hanyak. Mm, that tastes like... Yeah, it does have a little bit of that, like... Chinese herb medicine quality with alcohol. I hear you. So one of my favorite things to do is to take cocktails and play around with the ingredients. And oftentimes, cocktails use the simplest, most basic form of alcohol, vodka. And some of my favorite drinks are vodka-based drinks, but something I've discovered throughout the course of mixology and working in the industry is that if you take vodka out of the drink and replace it with something else, you can have a ton of fun playing around with cocktails. Hmm. Being a massive fan of the film The Big Lebowski, one of my favorite cocktails is the white russian the caucasian right so what i love to do is to replace kalua with this the senor rio coffee liqueur and replace the vodka with white tequila and make a white mexican as it's called where you use canelo white tequila (laughs) you use mexican coffee liqueur and you use cream in order to make your white Russian, but substituting tequila for vodka. And I would highly encourage anyone who wants to go out and, and make a bottle of cocktail for themselves, find yourself a bottle of Mexican coffee liqueur like this Senor Rio that's made with tequila and try that white Russian with tequila. Bomb. And that is, CFC recommends. That is my recommendation. Uh, we didn't even move on to recommendations yet, but um, we're going to take one final break real quick. I'm going to pour some, pour some tea, tea up and we're going to be back. And we're going to wrap this shit up because we got a barbecue coming. Amen. Barbecue coming. We're back for a rare fourth segment of the FCFC podcast, also called AKA T with Dweez. I'm about to distribute some tea. Spice, would you want to tell me how you feel personally right now? Slim's already described his drunkenness a couple times. How do you feel personally after going through Jonathan's tequila experience? After going through Jonathan's whiskey experience, I knew to, to take kind of half measures the entire way. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling the spirits, but not in the way that Sam's feeling the spirits. Um, Sam's long, too far gone. So I'm chilling, but I'm ready for some tea. I'm ready for tea to give a little, um, as John said before, a little backbone to the entire experience. Give me a little definition for for what's coming next. Hey, people coming to the barbecue, bring drugs. I need help. They can't I, hear you right I am, have been looking forward to the Dweez tea experience vastly more than probably I should, to be honest. Like, a little bit obsessive to the point in which I'm, like, super excited about this tea here. And also, uh, amongst the... 
the little token treasures that I have brought today in addition to bottles and scarves for y'all. I have some tea that I've been meaning to get in the hands of Dweez for years now, uh, sent over from China, that I'm really excited for you to get your hands on. So you're going to have to tell me because I, I understand so very little about the world of tea. So from one liquid-loving man to another, a plant amongst people, our connection to the natural world, <clears throat> what we're drinking today happens to be... No. Uh, you can't hear. Yeah, uh, Jonathan's, Jonathan's working on his headphones. I'm working on my tea. We're drinking Feng Huang Don Song. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've heard me call it by another name, which is Phoenix Oolong. Ooh. And it sounds like, you know, a few years back when we started this podcast, Jonathan had a brother who was living out in China, and he knew two of the categories of tea that I really enjoyed, which was Phoenix Oolong and Pu'er tea. And he shows up today with just some beautiful packs. And so we're actually drinking one of the teas that Jonathan's brother and his father brought back. Shout out to them. I don't know their names. but Martin and Jeff. Martin and Jeff. Shout out to Martin and Jeff. And we're sipping it out of some pretty old school style, much larger than we usually use cups. I didn't bring the smell cups out today because I wanted to do something different. I wanted to have some different. Sachi's, so my partner's... Uh, family has had this tea set in their family for a while and it actually comes from like a part of china probably during occupied times during world war ii but um the the script that's on it isn't traditional chinese script it's oracle bone style characters which was the chinese language was based off of so if you look at the characters that are on the side you're not going to recognize them as like kanji or traditional chinese characters but they're you know, they're very different. And at some point, I'm going to get someone to read them and tell me what the hell it is I'm drinking out of. But it's like kind of the oldest tea set that I have. And I've never actually busted it out for the pod before. But I wanted to bring it out to Jonathan. As you can tell, I don't know enough about ceramics. I'm learning little by little. But um, the style is a lot larger in terms of the cups. Normally, when we drink out of like almost thimble cup sizes, you know, just keep filling, up, filling them up. But I wanted to kind of pour up, and it comes with a whole whole teapot, whole tea set that I'm whipping out and showing the boys right now. But yeah, Phoenix Oolong, we've got our expert here. Many people have asked me on the pod, and someone even just asked me this last, the final game of the regular season, they came up to me, hey, Dweez, where do I go? And I'm telling you, for tea in the United States, for Chinese tea specifically, there are few people better than E-Men in Alhambra at Tea Habitat, teahabitat.com. She will hook you up. She is a Phoenix Oolong expert. And Phoenix Oolong is from Guangdong province, which is right next to Hong Kong, right across the water. And Phoenix Mountain is a mountain there. So as to what you were talking about earlier, the place becomes the name of the tea. Um, Phoenix Mountain Feng Huang <coughs> is, a, is a place, is a, is a place in Guangdong. And I've never been there, although one day I'd like to go when China opens back up, perhaps. Um, no, what's interesting about Phoenix Oolong, and I've talked about it so many times probably on the podcast, is it's sort of like, I don't know what a good comparison in the alcohol world would be, but it's sort of like, a, it's a category within a category. So if Oolong was that middle range, was the reposado, and not quite, you know, all the way on one side or the other, and there's tons of different types of Oolong, Da Hongbao, Ti Guayin, all the, the Taiwanese Oolongs, the... Gaoshan oolongs, the high mountain oolongs. 
Phoenix oolong is one category, but there's so many different ranges inside of that that there's like probably like 50, 60, 70 different inside of the category of Phoenix oolong. So this particular one we're drinking is from, yeah, it says Phoenix Mountain from Guangdong and... I need, I'm going to need some help to read the rest of it. I'm but. super impressed that you're able to decipher that much Chinese off the labels as well, too. Because one thing I will say, like a little history behind these teas. So these have been in my house since pre-pandemic when I was originally scheduled to come and do <laughs> the whiskey pod here in the background. And my brother was living in Nanjing where he met his wife. And uh, I've never actually met my brother's wife because they ended up getting together just before pandemic and ended up getting married during pandemic. And I actually have a nephew that I have never met because he's never been in the United States and I have not been able to go to China and meet him. So when my father was able to, for work, head out there to visit, uh, my father is a professor of chemical engineering at the University of California, Berkeley. And a lot of his work is involved in carbon capture and sequestration which is he helped design a device that sits on top of a, a smokestack for a coal-burning energy facility. And he helped design this custom material that fits inside that as the smoke passes through it, it captures 100% of the carbon dioxide in that smoke. And then when you reverse the magnetism running through this particular powder, you can extract the carbon dioxide, pump it underground, uh, bind it into rock formations and you can remove 100% of the CO2 coming out of a smokestack, Whoa. which is a massive, massive thing. If we're talking about trying to save the planet from the eventual destruction of, of greenhouse gases, right? So one of the biggest coal burning countries in the world is China. And so he's trying to get the Chinese government in order to adapt this particular device to stop the CO2 emissions, something I'm incredibly humbled and very proud that my father's a part of saving the world. Um, so he's often in China. So while he was out there visiting, I had asked him like, hey, can you, you know, grab like a, a Phoenix Oolong or a Pu'er for the homie Dweez while you're, you know, passing through a gift stand somewhere. The whole idea was just to bring over something that wasn't available in the United States. And my father being my father ended up recruiting one of his doctoral candidates family, <laughs> who's this incredibly wealthy Chinese family in order to help him find out what tea to bring. And that family thinking they were doing my family a favor went out and spent a ridiculous amount of money on some stupid good tea that we're drinking today, Beautiful. not realizing that this was just like a fun, like intrapod <laughs> gift that the folks at S2S were happy to give. So I, I just, I'm, I'm blown away by how full circle this has become. Yeah, so these boys, uh, these boys meaning Josh and Slim, they've drank probably more Phoenix Oolong than anything on the pod. And so I kind of, I'm curious to hear what they think. But yeah, like this tea, the beautiful part about drinking Phoenix Oolongs is that you're just going to have a different experience every time. And I was also thinking, man, we've been drinking a lot of tequila. What's going to like still give us something, right? Like some of, a big complaint that people have because, you know, here in the United States, and I think a lot of, Western cultures, a lot of the tastes are so extreme that they sort of like we're used to extreme taste. We eat Sour Patch Kids, for God's sake. So like subtle tastes aren't as always easy. So sometimes people will drink tea and they're like, oh, it just tastes like flavored water, right? Like it's not strong leaf enough. Leaf soup. Yeah, leaf soup, right? <laughs> and which is which, which I get, you know? And if you're a smoker or you're somebody else who like has like a lot of those like 
kind of hard tastes that are like going into your body and, and your nose and your olfactory senses often maybe tea is not going to be easy for you to like smell and experience right off the bat but tea also makes you feel things right like it's just like tequila just like alcohol there's a sensation that happens and different teas make you feel different things i've always believed or felt that a lot of the japanese teas kind of like happen in the head different chinese teas sort of happen in the body more you can feel them in the body but what i love about phoenix oolong is it's like it really kind of runs the gamut you can, there's so much sensory stuff that goes on and then it also like can really feel different um at different times of the day and so yeah we're about to welcome a bunch of people over and jonathan brought over these teas shout out to the to the family that helped shepherd them over and i'm so thrilled because this is the first time i think i've ever served a tea that a guest brought so there you go another first for the fcfc pod hundred and something episodes in backyard in um i don't know guys this is this has been great i i just wanted to to say that like a lot of people this year have been doing amazing things to raise money for Moe's court to, to get some futsal in here in South LA and get some people to play in kind of his honor. And these tequila <laughs> bottles are a great way to do that. But um, is, is there anything else going on? There's other things, other folks are doing other things to, to help raise money still. It's yeah. an ongoing process to uh, help build this thing. have a scarf that they put together um, the details of that scarf are escaping me because I'm not sober. I, I know Mo's face I have is on the one scarf side. in my car. I could go grab it. We could look at but uh, it's got Mo's face on it. It is a beautiful scarf, and, and hats off to the folks at Lucky's who have put that together uh, in order to help raise some money. I think the other big one that's still ongoing and hopefully still will be when this comes out is uh, Kate Corka and Tom Ritchie's baby. So they're doing a 50-50 raffle if you can guess the date and time in which the baby will be born 50 percent of the proceeds of that raffle go to the mofacio memorial futsal court the other 50 percent going to the recipient of whoever wins the award um so that's and certainly at flaskfinewines.com as as flask fine wines it's it's like four clicks away i think it's flask fine wines on google you click the first tab enter in old you could enter in i think i entered in district but you could have entered probably in ultra the bottles will come up and then you just got to do, if you have a Shopify thing, it's going to like all auto populate all your shit. So you can buy it on your phone, like within how long did that take me? Probably 30 seconds. And we're very appreciative of every There's a couple hundred day. bottles left. So yeah, um, I think we have uh, about 150 left of Blanco, 150 left of Cristalino and about 50 bottles left of the Reposado that are all out there. But Tweez, I'm, I'm, I'm super curious what you think of this tea. I have to say the first pour that you gave me tastes radically different from the second pour and that's that's kind of the first thing that really like to me was eye-opening about this yeah as i am not the tea connoisseur that i should be nor want to be but i would say that the first pour that you gave me was very like soft and nutty right chill um <laughs> I, I just i just i see slim going off on when i say nutty mm. but to me it was like this like cashew paste almond butter like no to it right so i mean i don't mean like you know dark roasted peanut or dark roasted almond like to me it was very like cashew macadamia like it was a very soft nuttiness to it and yet this second 
running that you've, I don't know what you call run through. You could call it a steep, second steep. Second steep mm-hmm. through. Second flush. To me has become much more like dark, old growth, old floor, like that heart of darkness, kind of mushroomy, truffly, like I think very like dense and vegetative in, in its in its profile. But a- am I totally off on no, this? No, no, no. So, so, and at some point I think it might be helpful to do without I think it's a beautiful thing to mix the booze and the tea, but someday we're just going to do the tea thing together. And when it when you do, you're going to get a sense of like just how much each steep changes, just how much each infusion changes. And some teas, good teas, will keep giving. And you can sit with one tea, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 steeps, and each one will be different. So it is, it's different from other drinks in that you keep drinking it. Same leaves more water same leaves more water same leaves more and you keep running it through it's almost as if you could drink a distillation after each distillation so you can just keep trying it as it went. so it's, it's an interesting thing and you know my tea people including Emen, shout out Emen again like she'll say things to me like i don't know like the weather is affecting the tea today like the time of year affects the tea today and, the, and i find those things to be true they don't they don't hold in bottles the same way that that um liquor do it's it's a moving growing alive thing a lot of times and you brought me some poor cakes and those those will change like like a bottle of wine over time right so yeah Yeah, i have to say i really appreciate all the tea samples you sent me after the whiskey episode i went through them far too quickly i think (laughs) but i really tried to learn what little i could from both listening to every episode of this show and listening to um and and reading some stuff online about how to serve it how to pour it what temperature the water and like i really tried to do all those things and give it different flushings different runnings different steepings of the tea in order to to try and experience it but the stuff that you sent me was fantastic like it was a tea experience unlike anything i had ever had before and the temptation to not dip into any of these packages that yeah been sitting in my house <laughs> well, for thank like you, man. three years no but now. you should you, i think uh, i think honestly you should because there's enough like you should take one of the one of the oolong boxes with you for sure i think these guys should take one of them with them for sure I will. just because like tea is all about i mean you probably feel the same about alcohol it's like you could have the most rare bottle but there's nothing like sharing it with somebody else there's nothing like sharing those moments and we're all here for, I mean, I've said it so many times, we're all here for a very limited time, you know? Why not enjoy it? Why not appreciate it? All the, all, if I could make one encouragement to anyone who's interested in getting into like a beverage or a plant, you know, whether it's coffee, tea, a type of liquor, even fuck around with your juice game, it's that it will actually help you connect with other people too. And it's another source of community, something we love on the pod and it brings people together. So on that note, I think we should we should move on to recommendations and wrap this baby up. We got some people coming over for a barbecue shortly, but um, Spice, you want to kick it off with a recommendation? Uh, sorry, one second. At a point, uh, I'm asking the chat is asking uh, the Dodger game will be played here. I can turn it on for sure inside. Yeah, in the inside. Okay. Um, Christian Ortiz is asking. I can bring my outdoor TV mount. Ortiz has a standard TV mount on his TV. Dude, I don't know. I think I it's like a big TV inside. I'll just turn it on. Inside. Okay, there's a big TV <laughs> inside. I'm actually. This isn't even an edit point. I want this to be on the pod. Will be because the Dodgers need to win tonight. With it. Um, Slim, do you have a recommendation? Um, what the, um, <laughs> shout out to all my gamers out there. Uh, Overwatch Two just came out. If you guys are looking for something new to get through your winter with, um, and you're a gamer, yeah, Overwatch Two. Uh, on battle.net. Battle.net. 
Uh, Mr. Reimer, oh, uh, Mr. Spice, do you do you now have a recommendation for us? Uh, my recommendation is, it's good, it's it's fine. Enter Galactic on Netflix, Kid Cudi. Um, the animation style is just fucking awesome. The story itself, it doesn't do anything. Like, it's just it's fine. It's like an average day in the life of like a cool oh, you, New York. You're hipster. just out here fucking recommending mids to our to our listeners, bro. It's He's like, a mid record. Like no story. It's all like, vibes. When you want a mid, you know, it's like when, when you, you need vibe? something like that. No story. It's like, oh, you're all just vibes. talking about the youth. I've never, been, <laughs> yo, I've never even heard that. I've never, I've never even heard that. No story, all vibes. No story, all vibes. Yeah. That's exactly. Enter Galactic on Netflix. Of, of the youth in our, our world right now. <laughs> we can't talk about the youth like we're not among them anymore. Fuck all you little kids, dog. Fuck we, you, kid. What is that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not among the youth. Jonathan, you got a recommendation. We're washed. Anyway, oh, well, yeah, hit me. My first recommendation would be to head to flaskvinewines.com and purchase yourself a bottle of District 9 Ultra's tequila. There um, you go. My, I think my third recommendation now also comes with yet another gift for you, Dweez. Oh. So this is Keske. the book that just came out this week called Keski. Uh, it is a book of poems written by... The person I am closest to in this whole wide world, my best and dearest and closest friend, my sister Jennifer. Aww. So she is a professor at the University of Oregon. However, she lived in Turkey for about five years, all the way through the revolution and the whole uh, fake coup and Aww. all of that. Uh, she is a poet, and she wrote this book of poems while she was living as an American woman with no other American people while living in Turkey. And it just came out this week. Beautiful. This is Keski, K-E-S-K-E. -E, and it is the third book my sister has published, but I think her best work so far. And Dweez, Amazing. It's no, it's, it's got a beautiful it's got a beautiful cover. I'm sort of seeing like kind of a... A, mer a mermaid vibe on the cover, but the Keske has the S has a little Sigilia type uh, deal on it, and yeah, shout out to Jennifer Reimer, and this is what a beautiful gift. Yeah, this is this is great. I'm gonna check it out. I've got a couple books of poems that I'm bringing with me, um, and so so this is amazing. Bring with you where, Dweez? Oh, we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> um, so my recommendation is very on brand with our pod and our people. Our good friend Ryan Wallerson. Famous for Season Pass, famous for FCFC fame. What happened to Season Pass? Is that coming back? We'll talk about that soon, Jonathan. <laughs> um, he actually produced the forthcoming, and now the first episode is out, uh, Roger Bennett, Men in Blazers, and the, uh, the good folks at Pod Save America cross-produced a pod called World Corrupt, which is all about the Qatar World Cup. The first episode oh, just came shit. out. The first episode came out. So if you want, uh, look, we all love fucking World Cup. I'm going over there. I know some of us are. There's a ton of objectionable reasons for not going, which I support Shout them all. Shout out to all the homies um, that are going to be in drunk tanks out there. I, I <laughs> am, am going to go uh, and have that experience and, and see what it's like with the boots on the ground. But just to educate yourself on historical times there, and, and if, you like, if you like football, you like humor, you like geopolitics in with your podcast i highly 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 recommend world corrupt and of course a graduate a part of the family of the fcfc season pass family ryan Walshton produced the podcast so i mean it's pretty his voice is all over the trailer if you want to check that out on the men in blazers feed that's ryan Walshton. you recognize him from from many episodes with us and of course the season pass pod so shout out to ryan support his work uh check it out and it's worth it's worth looking at listening to they're going to drop the episodes as the world cup draws near so yeah check those out world corrupt is the name of it on all pod platforms slim shall we close it out 
But real quick, oh, before we close it out, yes, I just wanted to read a brief excerpt from the book. Oh, that please, I you. yes. Oh, yeah. But um, any fool can get into an ocean, but it takes a goddess to get out of one. And on that note, I love that. This has been another episode of the FCFC Pod. Bye. FCFC. FC. FC. FCFC. FC, 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 F